Coming up, some Thursday night basketball and a lot of football next. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Monopoly Go. It's halftime and the scoreboard's not looking good. You're not sure you can pull out a win? That's when you say to yourself, it's time to get back in the game, pull off some bank heists and take as much of my friend's money as I possibly can. That's right. The hit mobile game, Monopoly Go, lets you compete with your friends to be the biggest tycoon ever. I might do this with my high school friends. We used to play Monopoly all the time. It's the Monopoly you love, but on your phone anytime with tons of new twists, including leaderboards to compare your progress. There's so much to do. Play on countless dynamic Monopoly boards. Make your friends bankrupt by smashing their landmarks with a wrecking ball. Charge other players rent for your iconic properties. Maybe you'll even play against me. I'm great at Monopoly. You could even work with your friends to crack open community chests and in tournaments to get extra rewards. Get back out there. Put on your game face. Download Monopoly Go. Now free on the App Store or Google Play. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. Put up a new rewatchables on Monday. We did Philadelphia, me and Chris Ryan and Wesley Morris. We have the big rewatchables cold weather tour 2024. Next week, we're coming to Chicago, Washington, Philadelphia, and New York. We're doing The Fugitive. We're doing Forrest Gump. We're doing Creed. And we're doing Rounders. All the tickets are sold out. I go back and forth on this because I like that we did theaters. They're like between 800 and 1,000 people, which I think is the right number. But part of me wishes um, we'd just done bigger theaters. So who knows? Maybe we'll do that next time. But for anyone going to any of those shows, we are not showing the movie. So make sure you watch the movie before you go to the show because uh, that would be weird if you just watched us talking about like Creed in Philadelphia. You're like, what's this movie? Who's in it? So anyway, please watch the movies before you actually go to our shows. Can't wait to see everybody. And, uh, and that's that more details next week from the road. Um, coming up on this podcast, me and Rob Mahoney are going to talk about all the Thursday night stuff that happened because there were some, some really fascinating NBA matchups. Some of them turned out to be disappointing. And then of course, Porzingis stepped on somebody's foot and now I'm in a bad mood. Um, but anyway, we're going to talk about that and what we saw from Miami with Rogier, what we're seeing from the Lakers and all the storylines as we head into the weekend. And then Peter Schrager came on to talk about coaches, coaching vacancies. Uh, we had three jobs left and we taped our thing and we said, oh, nothing else will happen. Then right after we finished taping, Raheem Morris got the Atlanta job. So no Belichick in Atlanta, which I predicted, if you remember, on this podcast on Sunday. And now we are one step closer to Bill Belichick working for the ringer and Joining me in Salon Guest Alliance. Hey, give me like 50 to one odds it could happen. I don't know. Don't rule me out. So we're going to talk about some of the coaching stuff. And then uh, we're going to talk about the two games this weekend, which are really good. And then I'm going to do some million dollar picks, which have been really good lately. We'll see if I can keep it going. It's all next. First, our friends from ProJet.
All right, Rob Mahoney is here. We're taping this part of the podcast. It's 10 o'clock Thursday night. We thought this was going to be an awesome NBA night. It was okay. It was a C minus. It was, eh. Warriors it Kings, though, was very fun. Um, the Warriors heading into this game in the last 15 games were 29th in defensive rating. And at one point, the Kings looked like they were going to score 175 points in them. <laughs> The Kings end up winning by one. They win late. The Warriors kind of botch a late game possession. You know, on the one hand, Kaminga is starting to turn into something for Golden State. Absolutely. On the other hand, their defense is so bad that I don't know what they do. Rob, they owe a top four protected pick to Portland this year. And I don't think they're a contender and they're just in the all-time... I don't really know which way they go, but either way doesn't seem great, right? Yeah, there's some funny things happening with the Warriors and the Lakers right now where I think they're trending up in some really critical ways, and yet it might not matter that much just based on where they're starting from in the standings. And the Warriors in particular, you're right, their defense has been a disaster for most of the season. They have a hard time getting stops against anybody. Their energy is pretty good, so it, it's not an effort issue. It's just they're very small. They're still not athletic in a couple, athletic enough in a couple key spots. And even though Kuminga's popping, his defense is all over the place. It's just that offensively, he's kind of honed in on on what he does best and what he should have been doing this whole time. Yeah, Kuminga's turned into this like old school ISO. He's out of like 1994. Like you could see him in the Eastern Conference, just clearing out on one side and just trying to beat people off the dribble. I don't think he really knows what he's doing yet as a as kind of a team defense player or just no, any no. sort of aspect of that. But I like his confidence and he's at least something. You can't look back at that draft to go, oh, man, we blew it. We didn't take Franz Wagner. Because um, I think Kaminga's got something. But on the other hand, his timetable and what, where you want him to go the next four years, I'm not sure it matches a team that has a bunch of old players. I mean, the clay stuff's alarming. There was... Clay, at one point, I looked at the box score like a minute left. He'd played 30 minutes and he had like zero assists and one rebound or yeah. it was one assist and zero rebounds. He just doesn't do that much. And that what was really weird at the end of the game, the Kings were kind of leaving him open a couple times, which in the old days, it was like, don't keep a guy, forget about the space, like just keep somebody over there and just we'll give up one-on-one. But the Kings were drifting off him. And if, if that's happening, combined with Barnes was killing him on the other end. I just don't know what value he brings to the table anymore. Well, this is one of the things that's happening kind of across the league, really over the last couple of seasons, is defenses are so good now at closing short against guys who can't really put the ball on the floor and attack, and that's where Clay is now. Part of yeah. what made him so deadly was he was one of the best shooters ever, and if you close hard at him, he's going to attack and drive and score or attack and drive and dish and get you into the Warriors' blunder, and you're going to be in trouble. All that other stuff is gone. So, yeah. you know, it, we've done a lot of hand-wringing about Clay over, I always say the last calendar year in particular, but really since his injuries. In fairness, he's still one of the better high-volume three-point shooters in the league by percentage. He still right. hits a lot of his shots. It's just that defenses don't have to respect anything else. And so then they can close a little bit later to the three. They can play, you know, they can roll the dice with stuff like that in a game like this where he's not on fire. He's basically Nets Joe Harris Jesus. at this point. That's harsh. That's, but that's harsh. who he is. He's this, he's a you know a good three point shooter. I've I don't know that I've seen Joe Harris hit a three pointer in the playoffs in my life. <laughs> so until that happens, <laughs> I will give Clay right, a slight fair. edge. I'm just saying the theory of Joe Harris. Yes, 
And then they have this Draymond situation where, you know, he's pretty good offensively today and they need his playmaking, especially with Chris Paul out. But the nicer, gentler, I'm trying to keep my emotions in check, Draymond. I'm not sure that's how he's meant to play basketball. There's a ferocity that's missing from him. And defensively, he should be whatever, the the guy that lifts the rising tides and... Is that, did I say that right? The guy yeah. that, li- rising tides? Is that? Well, the guy I, that I, lifts the rising tides is the literal moon. So as long as that's the guy we're talking about, <laughs> that's, then we're on right. track. Well, I, I feel like I'm in the ballpark with that, but uh, he's supposed to be the glue guy in defense for them and the, and the guy who kind of makes everything better. And, and I don't know if he's that guy anymore. I think he's pieces of that guy, but he's not the, I don't think he moves the same and has the same lift as he did a couple of years ago. I still think he's valuable, but, I just keep watching him on this team and it just feels like it's run its course and I wonder if it's good for him and for them if there's a fresh start somewhere else. It could be, but I don't know that he's going to lift the level of play anywhere else any more than this, right? His synergy with at least Steph and with some of the core Warriors Mm. is still really good and really important. I don't know that if you send him to a team with a bunch of young talent and hope that he's going to, you know, teach them how to, like the culture of playing defense... Is that really going to work for a guy who's had his string of issues, his own string of accountability problems at this later stage in his career where individually he's not at the level he was a couple of years ago? It's just always going to be a hard sell with him in terms of figuring out what an alternative spot could be. And the Warriors are still dependent on him in some ways. Like They're still dependent on him to get Steph the looks that he needs and wants in some of these games. So there's can't trade him a bull and then there's untradeable, meaning... Nobody wants this guy. Yeah. And then the other version is we can't trade this guy. He means too much to us. He might be both. <laughs> Somehow both? <laughs> Somehow well, both and neither. I'm trying to walk through the scenario where another team, what, and it feels like it would be an older team, like a Lakers type of team that has proven guys that could kind of pull him into the fold and, and then he could, you know, because he has experience and it's playoffs and then you could unleash certain pieces of him. Like if you send him to I don't know Orlando, and oh, they don't, if they don't Orla- need any help playing defense down there. They're they're doing just fine, right? But that's my yeah, that's my point. Like, I that doesn't make sense to me. A young team on the rise. That's the type of team, right? Or you could say like Indiana. Well, that doesn't make sense because they don't play that. And you go through all the teams. Yeah, it's really hard to find the right team. And then you start going the drop below of the teams that are either rebuilding or you know probably trying to get a top seven pick. And none of those teams make sense for me. There's like, send him home to Detroit. Well, why? Detroit's terrible. Why would they want Draymond? So it feels like the Warriors are probably stuck with him, which might not be a bad thing because if he can uh, rekindle his thing. But I, I was, I made a joke to somebody on text today that it's like watching Skip Bayless try to do a show and just be like, I'm not going to have any crazy takes. I'm just going to be nice. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to try to uplift the sports scene instead of doing my Skip Bayless shtick. Skip Bayless on Good Morning America, just real, real genial <laughs> right. guy. Right, he replaces Nate Pearl, Nate Pearlson <laughs> on the CBS Morning News, and he's just interviewing people who just escaped from being trapped in a well, and he's just pleasant. Um, Honestly, would watch. You he'd give that <laughs> a watch. Oh, okay. Give that give a, it week. a try. Um, but yeah, the Draymond. So I, I don't know how he channels the rage that made him so much, kind of so indispensable to them, and so much fun to watch, and that tightrope back he was always on where he just started falling off the tightrope. So I don't know how you get back on it. Well, the the news for that, whether it's good news, I think depends on your perspective. 
as much as I would like to believe in mankind's infinite capacity for change, I would say it's a matter of time until we see old Draymond kind of pop yeah. back out again. So he, that energy I would expect to be back at some point. The one trade element we haven't talked about is maybe the most important one, which is just who is the most desperate for something? And that's where you get into teams like Atlanta. That's when you get into yeah. teams like if, if Dallas went on an extended losing streak or something like that, or even you know further down the line into the offseason, they really wanted to shake things up in their front court. You could see teams like that start to talk themselves into someone like Draymond. Again, as a culture setter, as someone who could potentially transform what you do and be a connector on offense. But you almost need that level of desperation and urgency to pull the trigger on a trade like this. And I think if you're Golden State, you probably want contracts that are coming to a close and you want to get under the tax. I mean, the irony of that, they're, they're 36.9 million over the tax line. So they are where you really don't want to be in the NBA, where you don't have a chance to win the title. You might not even have a chance to make any noise in the playoffs and you're paying the tax. Yeah. That's it. That's the triple crown. Yeah, you mentioned Dallas because it doesn't feel, they have some, you know, the Grant Williams signing has been, I think, a disaster for them. They still have Rashawn Holmes who doesn't play, but they, they could kind of patch together some shorter-term contracts and say to Golden State, like, hey, we'll take them. Uh, I just don't know if Dr if Draymond's at the we'll take them stage. And yeah. I also don't know their appetite of even, like, are they just going to say, we're going to go down the ship with Steph and Clay and Draymond. These are our guys. They're all going to have statues someday, and we're going to ride this out. And this is how it ends. It's never supposed to end well. But um, the defense to me is the stunning piece with that team. Where the Kings almost didn't know where to go. They had so many <laughs> options. The fate of Northern California almost came down to Harrison Barnes post-ups in this game. That's where we were at. That's right. he, Harrison Barnes, by the way, I would say one of the more random back-to-back 30-plus-point -back game stretches I've seen in, in a very long time, just out of absolutely nowhere, started erupting lately. Yeah. A lot of good things happening for the Kings, but I, I did not have that one on my bingo card. Jared Greenberg, Jared Greenberg, after the game, he was the sideline guy, and he led a question with Harrison Barnes, like, hey, it's, you know, this is the team that traded you. Like, does it feel good to get revenge? And I always want the athlete to answer, like, hey, man, that was 2016. It was eight years ago. Like, I barely remember being on this team. Like, no, I don't care. I've made $200 million. I'm fine. Don't worry about Harrison Barnes. But they, he, didn't, he didn't answer it that way. The revenge um, they might have cared about, though, I would imagine if I were Damanis Sabonis, it would feel pretty good to barge through Draymond Green once or twice and put my chest through Kevon Looney right. and dunk on him after what happened in the playoffs. And maybe even more importantly, hit a couple floaters, hit some intermediate shots, hit like the exact stuff the Warriors have been daring him to do for a long time. So the Kings, I think, I think you know, they don't have a lot to prove in games like this at this point. They're just a good team. But it's always nice to gut out close games against veteran competition, especially when there is that kind of back and forth at the end. Kevin Herter, I would not say covered himself in glory, missing two free yeah. throws in crunch time, but they got the baskets they needed to and they got the critical stop forcing Steph into that turnover at the end too. Yeah, I mean, that was almost a self-inflicted, unforced error turnover. Steph looked like, where would you put on, on the his prime? Would you say tail end? Would you say approaching the tail end? Would you say he's fine, this team is just messed up? Where would you put him? Because it, it's definitely, you know, when you're at your absolute peak, which you compare him to guys like Giannis and Jokic and people like that, when you're, when you're a top 20, top 25 NBA player at the peak, peak, peak of your powers, yeah. You're good every night. 
it's shocking if you don't have a good game. Your your average game is an awesome game. And that's just who you are. And it doesn't even, even the Knicks game tonight, the Nuggets get killed by the Knicks. But Jokic wasn't like awful in that game because he doesn't have awful games. He's Jokic. Curry's at the stage now where he can have awful halves and awful games. And it's just, it's it feels like it's moving to a different point of his career. But I I would also not be surprised if, you know, February comes and he averages 39 points a game and goes on a run again. Yeah, it's just everything, when you're at that stage in your career, everything isn't in your control anymore. It's a little bit more about matchups. It's a little bit more about how your teammates get you open or how they cover for you. Just the fact that, you know, the Western Conference All-Stars were announced today. Steph Curry is not one of the starting guards. I don't think and we're any, not outraged. I don't think anyone's really going to argue with it, to be honest with you. Like, I, that's just the facts of the season. And he, I think he's still probably, you know, a second team all NBA kind of player. Like, he's still that good. He's just not quite at this level as, you know, as what SGA is doing, as the load that Luca is carrying. The responsibility on him is still really great. But in terms of like what he can do creatively, individually, there are limits to it. And we're seeing it. Yeah. I laid out all my starters because I, I had a vote for the starters, but I was also curious about like the tiers of, all right, my five starters, who are the next five guys? And then who's up for the next two spots? And it was interesting. I had Fox like about a hair ahead of Curry this season mm. on my list. Did, I Sabo- had, did Sabonis make your list? Sabonis made my list. Um, he did not make the starting list, but he's yeah, like yeah, but clearly the like the next group of dudes. And the question for me is there's that Fox, Curry, Booker, Edwards, those four together. And the starters, I don't think I have to go until next week. I like to have at least three guards as the backups for the starters. Plus it's the all-star game you want guards. And there's a world where Curry isn't one of the, isn't even one of the four non-starter guards. Because Booker, um, especially lately, I think has been playing better. Edwards has been on a number one seed the whole year and he's been, I, you would probably say their most important player. And then Fox has been slightly better, just percentages, numbers, his team's playing better. And there's a world where Curry doesn't make it, but it's the all-star game and I feel like it will. It's the same reason LeBron started for a night. But is that nuts to even have that conversation? I think he's going to make it. And I think, he's, I think honestly, when you lay out the West Reserves, both wild card spots will probably be guards, yeah. unless unless it ends up being a Fox or Sabonis thing, and one of those guys gets one of those wild card spots. Which I think that's a fascinating argument to have as far as you're assigning credit for how good the Kings are and, and who you want to prioritize. Whether it's you know Sabonis being the hub for them or, or Fox being this kind of just like hyper efficient individual creator for them, and also notable, just one of the best three point shooters in the league. All of a sudden, incredible right. to watch De'Aaron Fox play. I think Steph has to be in there, but it, you know if this if things had started a little earlier for the Clippers and James Harden, for example, could he have had an interesting case? If the Jazz had caught on a little earlier and Lowry Markkinen were making you know an even stronger march than he already is for All Star, would he butt in for a wild card spot? I think there's lots of ways in which you get edging on that conversation. I just don't think Steph would be the casualty for it. I think it would be much more likely to be one of the Kings guys or one, you know, Paul George or someone like that who would get kind of nudged out of the mix. There's too many. I like that it's 12. I hate that people are like, oh, we got to make it 15 so more people can make it. We don't need more people in the All-Star game. 12 is enough. We don't in in the Eastern Conference, I can tell you that. Uh, Yeah, right. So 
I had AD and Kawhi as starters. Neither of them ended up as starters. It went to Durant and LeBron. So AD and Kawhi are six seven. Um, Sabonis is eight. And then technically you could say Edwards, Fox, Booker, and Curry all get in. But now you're bumping out Paul George, you're bumping out Sangoon, Sangoon you're bumping out yep. Towns. I, there's there's a budding Jalen Williams case that I don't think he's going to make it. But man, I test wise, it's harder to think of 12 guys that are better two-way players than him in the West. Um, and then you look at all the uh, the shooting splits for him and some of the advanced stats, and it's like he if Jalen Williams had a better PR, he he might actually be an All Star reserve. He's not going to make it, no. But I think he's kind of lingering there too. And then marketing would be the other one. Yeah, the, the one I'm on. watching too is Rudy Gobert. Will Rudy Gobert, the leader of the number one defense in the league with a bullet, will he make the All Star team? And I think the fact that it's going to come down to the coaches is what makes it so fascinating because Rudy Gobert's peers don't always have the utmost respect for him. I don't think he yeah. gets an incredible fan representation in the vote. But the coaches value what he does. They value the stability of a guy like that on an every night basis. And certainly in a league where nobody can stop anybody, the one team that can, Gobert has a really strong case to to be involved in this game. What if, It's too bad we can't do backyard dealings on this and be like, Rudy, we're going to vote you in as a, as a reserve, but you're going to fake an injury two minutes after we do because nobody wants to watch you in the all-star game. Like literally nobody. We just want guards and we went up and down. That's cool. Let them do um, the skills challenge and we'll call it good. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll take a break. Then we got to talk about the Knicks. FanDuel is America's number one sports book. They have all your favorite bets like the money line and the spread and all sorts of prop bets. If you go there right now, you can find joint prop bets for the two conference championship games. You can bet on things like both quarterbacks or quarterback in each game will get a rushing touchdown. I think that's like eight to one. I kind of like that one, actually. Um, I have some some good ones coming in million dollar picks later. But for instance, one of the same game parlays I like is Ravens to win the first half in the game. Lamar to score a TD and then Edwards and Hill to both rush for 25 plus yards, which I think if the Ravens win, all of those things happen. You could do things like that on FanDuel. FanDuel... Every time there's an NFL playoff game, they have a no-sweat same-game parlay. So when you combine all your bets like I just did with the Ravens, you'll get bonus bets back if your SGP doesn't win. Also, I'm doing a boost on Saturday night for the Lakers game. I'm not sure what it is yet, but you'll be able to find it over the weekend on FanDuel and on my Twitter feed. So stay tuned for that. Visit FanDuel.com slash BS if you don't already have an account. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. You must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. Minimum three-leg parlay required. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets expire seven days after receipt. Max refund $5 unless otherwise specified restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. All right, so we were talking All-Stars and in the East, Brunson didn't make it. Dame Lillard made it. There's some, what is it, fans, it's coaches, and it's media. It's also and me. I, I am the problem. And I you? voted for Damian Lillard. I, like, it's an excruciating decision between, I would say, Donovan Mitchell, Jalen Brunson, and Dame. But I, I still like the season Dame's having. I, I know I am preaching to whatever the opposite of a choir is on this one. I know. Wow, I'm I want to hear your, the case. Uh, this is great. Let's hear this. The case is 
the Bucs are one of the most efficient offenses in the history of the league, and they are efficient not because of great coaching, not because of a super well-designed roster, but because Giannis and Dame are fucking good basically all the time. And Giannis, like, Dame's percentages night to night do fluctuate, but his impact on the game is still high in all of those cases. Still, like, secures a lot of games in crunch time and overall is one of the architects of that offensive success. So I, I value that stuff pretty highly. So you wanted two bucks in the starting five, is what you're telling us. I don't think of it that way. Why not? There's 15 teams in the league. You got to be a really good team to have two of the five starters in a 15-team conference. I mean, the Lakers are going to have two all-stars. I don't I, feel I, great about that either. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought AD should have gotten the spot. And then, I, to me, LeBron was on the bubble. Um, but he made it as a starter, so it doesn't matter. I had Brunson, which leads us to the Knicks. Here's my question for you. The Knicks are 11-2 and two in January. In the last 16 games, first in defensive rating by like a mile. Like they, are, they have been the best defensive team now for more than a month. Is Knicks culture the new Heat culture? Because <laughs> the, heat, the Heat got annihilated tonight by Boston. Now, granted, you know, whatever, it's the Heat, it's the regular season. But the Knicks have done their own version of what the Heat did, the type of players the Heat target and go after and the type of people they put together. And the Knicks have basically said to everybody, like, you have to be able to play defense to play for the Knicks. Yeah. You have to play hard and you just have to be diving for balls and you'll be able to switch and just fight. And if you can't do that, you're not playing. So they added OG. They're 11 and 2 in January. They feel like they're a trade away from being kind of a nightmare first round opponent. And I'm starting, I have Knicks fans in my life who are beaten down, who don't want to believe, who don't want to get sucked in. And all of them are like, I really like this team. I really like where this is going. I am super happy as a Knicks fan right now. Where do you stand? I think they're a trade away from being something much more dangerous, but they're already a nightmare first round opponent. This is a team that no one should want to play in the regular season or the playoffs. Because the Knicks, I think what their, what their defining characteristic is, is they do not fuck around. They show up, they play hard, they have intense focus, they don't give you things. And yeah, there's, there's some times where their offense like kind of spins its wheels or it's like a little too much Julius Randle time or maybe like yeah. a little undersized on the perimeter with some of their groups. But they give a shit in a league where there's like a lot of unserious teams in the regular season. And you could see it in this one that the Nuggets were not prepared for this level of physicality in a random January regular season game, even during rivalry week registered trademark. I don't know what the Nuggets-Knicks rivalry <laughs> is, but there must be one somewhere on the books. Nuggets-Knicks, let me think. Yeah, no, I'm out of ideas. I don't and, know how that one Nuggets, works. Nuggets at the end of a road trip, and it was like one of the, they were like in the pickup game where there was that one guy on the other team trying too hard and guarding everybody <laughs> full court. And they're like, dude, I'm hungover. Well, Can you leave me alone? Well, that guy was OG Ananobi. And I think he's going to be in Jamal Murray's nightmares for a really long time. Like he, he is such a big part of how the Knicks physicality can just rock you on your axis as a team. Yeah. And I've, I've been thinking about this too with, with the way defense is officiated right now and just how the way offense is exploding. The real defensive difference makers, they just feel immensely valuable and even far and away than they did before, far and away more than they did before. And it might only be like three or four guys in terms of perimeter players who can actually do stuff like this. And I think OG is clearly one of them. He can neutralize a matchup. He can zero out a player as dangerous as Jamal Murray. 
And if you can get one of those guys or develop one of those guys, that is a transformational experience for your team. So that's why the Knicks were good and they were competent, but now they're really dangerous. They're a team that if you're a contender and you see the Knicks as your first round opponent, they could ruin your season really easily, even if they themselves aren't necessarily a favorite or, or you know co-favorite to win the title. We did the, didn't we do the, uh, I came on, were you on that pod? Yeah, yeah, for the emergency trade pod. The emergency pod, it was me, you, and Varia, right? Absolutely. And we all liked the trade for the Knicks, and we all thought OG was the best part in the trade. And we all thought the theory of the trade we liked. Since we did that pod, I, I think the trade has turned out way better than I thought. And I think the thing that I don't think we, none of us gave enough credit to is like, you're kind of wasting that dude on like a 500 team or a team that, you know, doesn't have that, this kind of identity. Now he just makes sense on this team. When you think about him in the playoffs. I think one of the things that's scary about them is pick, pick the, the team. You could probably throw OG at whoever the problem is. Yeah. Like, could he Basically guard Embiid? Basically one to five. He could has. he guard Embiid in a series? Yeah. Like, I think he actually could. Tatum, Brown, um, nobody guards Yarna, Giannis, but he could at least try to take, take uh, you know, charges from him. Miami, you could throw him on anyone in that team you're going down the line. So now, now that they have that, I want to know what the next trade is because they have to trade Fournier now. They're pretty close. And Fournier is making 18. They can get to basically 20, 22, 24 in a trade and get one more guy. But for me, it has to be a guy that fits into what they've created. Yeah. Like, it can't be like, oh, we can finally, we have a, we have a mulligan here. We can acquire Zach Levine. We can get away with one guy who doesn't play defense. I don't think they want to be that way. I think they want to, from what I've seen, what, what Tibbs and Tibbs seems super happy oh lately. <laughs> the he look on wants, his face when he sat down at the press conference tonight, it was like, it was like the serial killer at the end of the movie about to give his monologue in the interrogation right. room. That's the what end it was. of the Fincher miniseries. <laughs> yeah, I. This is the team he wants. So anyone else they trade for, I think, has to come in and have that same kind of intense thing. I maybe it's Dejounte Murray. I don't know. I don't. He's another one that I wonder in the right kind of atmosphere could he rekindle some of the defense we saw from him in San Antonio. We've not seen in Atlanta, but um, they're clearly going to make a. Make a deal. I think the crowd really helps too for the type of team they have. And I'm, I think I'm going to go next week, next weekend because we're in New York for the rewatchables, the live show, and nice. they're playing the Lakers on Saturday. I want to see it. I want to, you know, I've seen that crowd in various stages of uh, e either just complete sadness, bitterness, or kind of like over hopefulness based on, but compared to what the actual product is, but. They're just dying to have a team they like, and it seems like they like this team. Randall is the X factor. Yeah, it can be a, he can be a lot, but in games like this, he's flexing on Nikola Jokic, getting putbacks. Right, like yeah. when, when he when his game is properly aligned and relatively in balance, we know who he can be when he's just hitting every jumper. That's great, but it's more about like the replicability of how physical he can be, how dominant he can be going to the basket. In addition to that, kind of. Uh, yo-yoing pull on a defense from being able to shoot. So if he can do a little of all those things, and Jalen Brunson has just been such an efficient driver of that offense. Such, yeah. So good at getting into the lane, creating problems, and also another one of these guys who's just a really successful emerging three-point shooter at, at pretty good volume this season. They're so dangerous. They're, they're, re they're really hard to play, even apparently when they're down to their third string center. You know, Jericho Sims is out there giving Nikola Jokic the best he's got, and that's good enough to win by nearly 40 points. And some precious, 
Precious is getting thrown out there. Here, Precious. <laughs> a little silence of the lambs action. <laughs> um, right now, the Knicks are fourth. That would put them in uh, a Cleveland Knicks series that I'm not sure I want. <laughs> I don't think the Cavs want up. it either. Yeah, yeah I, would, I think we should shake the snow globe on that one. But um, it would be really fun if Philly had just bounced back a tiny bit and all of a sudden Cleveland kept ascending and then we could just get Knicks Philly in round one with just an absolute shitload of pressure. Um, the the Cleveland piece of this, so Cleveland is now 26 and 16. They did they did lose their last game, but um, they were second in defensive rating over that 15 game stretch. And it feels legitimate. And it feels like they finally got Jared. A month ago, we were wondering if Jared Allen, if like OKC could just get him. Just be like, could Cleveland, you know, maybe make him available? He should and get some all-star up. buzz as a reserve, I think. Jared Allen's been really, really good. Yeah. And as important as anybody in this resurgence, I know Mitchell's numbers have been flashier, but Jared Allen's really critical to the way they function, clearly on defense, but even as a hub on offense, too. There's that old saying in sports, sometimes you're an injury away. And maybe the Mobley-Allen together thing doesn't make a lot of sense. Not, not that, mm. oh, this leads to us trading Evan Mobley. It's just maybe it was yeah. just better for Jared Allen to just be the only big guy. They definitely get Possible. some clarity every time they space out and start playing a little smaller and a, you know slightly better shooters, however much they can get on the floor. It's not an accident that this stuff happens. And I, I yeah. think we all understand, the Cavs included, that that's the ultimate trajectory of the team. It's just, can Evan Mobley be the five? And if he can't, then you have to start answering some really hard questions. Mm. The East feels like it's fallen in a place because the Celtics and Milwaukee are going to be one too unless there's some sort of crazy Celtics collapse. Philly's probably three but who knows. Knicks Cleveland right underneath them and then Indiana probably six but lingering a little and then you go to the seven eight nine ten where Miami um, every time you feel like all right here we go like the Celtics just crushed them today. Now the Celtics yeah. shot the light out lights out but Miami also um, looked like they didn't totally want to be there, that they didn't realize it was on TNT. It was a very strange performance. Rogier was terrible in his first game. But you have Miami and Orlando and Chicago and Atlanta in that 7, 8, 9, 10. And then really no threat underneath because no. Brooklyn's 17 and 27 going the wrong way and probably has to start uh, selling for parts. It was pretty bad. They lost to the Knicks the other night at home. All the Knicks fans were there and Bridges was like just super bummed out after like, ah, it sucks to play a road game when you're home. And it's that like, yeah, tough. well, that that's what happens when you put a second team in New York, <laughs> a city that only cares about the Knicks. They, these are the things that are going to happen. But you know what? Though? You, they, they almost stole this game tonight from the Timberwolves. And I think that's more about the Timberwolves and crunch time than it does about the Nets. But credit to him. Nick Claxton in particular, I thought it had a great game. Yeah. So and that came down to Bridges missing. uh Another you missed free throw in crunch line. time, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty rough. Minnesota is dying for us not to believe in them. <laughs> they're really trying sometimes. And yet they're 32 and 13 and they're the one seed in the West. But I don't really fully believe in them in crunch time. And you could tell me that they're going to lose in round one and five. I wouldn't be shocked. So it feels like they're a trade waiting to happen. There's just a lot of teams that are trades waiting to happen. Wait, I, I got off the narrative on the East. Oh, yeah. Um, Miami 24 and 21. Have they just thrown away the regular season? This is who they are. We don't care. We'll be there in April, May, and June, and that's that's what we do. I wish I could believe that with this version of the team. 
But I, I think this Heat team is lesser than last season's team. And in particular, I don't think they are as as heat culture or as hard-nosed as that team was. There's like a little something missing in terms of the edge of this group. And mm. maybe that is just them saving their legs in the regular season. But Miami Heat, please score a basket. Like the way this offense struggles against set defenses is kind of infuriating for the talent that they have. Like the number of possessions that boil down to Tyler Hero taking a quick, early, semi-contested three, even on the night yeah. when he's hitting, I just find a little distressing for what this team could be doing. I know it's not the most talented offensive group, but they're more talented than this. Well, they've had the worst point guard situation in the league until Rozier. Hawkeyes goes out recently, yeah. and you really feel the absence. That's the other thing. This game didn't even count. Jaime Hawkeyes didn't play. Right. Doesn't count as a win for the Celtics. Doesn't count as a loss for the Heat. We erase it from the record books. Well, two things did count. One is that they threw a zone at the Celtics, which worked last year. And this year, the Celtics like, hey, we have Drew Holiday and Chris Tapsberg's Zingas <laughs> yeah. now. This ain't working anymore. Mm-mm. So that was a disaster. The other thing was Porzingis went down and limped off. And, you know, this has been the eggshells of the entire Celtics season. It's just you're just trying to get through every regular season game with nothing happened to Porzingis. These tall dudes, whether it's him or Wembenyama or even somebody like Chet, these tall, skinny guys that they're in the air and they're landing and you're just always worried they're going to land on a foot or land the wrong way. And it finally happened with him. It seemed really bad. And then he showed up back in the uh, on the bench later and he was laughing. But um, it's just going to be an absolute Ben Affleck and Triple Frontier type of situation getting him to April. <laughs> just... <laughs> Just let's get him in. Let's throw him in the unmarked van with with no windows and whatever just see if it we takes. can get him to April eleventh. Um, but with that said, he is. You saw it tonight. I think he is an impossible matchup for Miami. I just don't think they have size for him. I think the the Celtics Heat matchup I think is fundamentally different with how talented the Celtics are now. Like it, when the Celtics play other jump shooting teams there's really not a lot of chance for those other teams. Because, yeah. yeah, the Celtics can ebb and flow, but if you have a similar shot profile to them and Miami doesn't get to the basket, they rely on a lot of mid-range stuff, a lot of long-range stuff, how are you supposed to keep up with this, with this level of talent and this kind of layered talent where the thing about Chris Stapps and why his injuries are so damaging, he's like the, the consequence for whatever your defensive scheme is. If you want to switch, he can post guys up from the free-throw line or in. If you're showing really hard or trapping guys like Tatum and Brown or, or Derek White and Drew Holiday, he's popping out, hitting tons of shots at a really high rate. Whatever you want to do, he is the hammer. And so if mm. you take that out of Boston's system, then maybe they're kind of beatable. Maybe they're kind of manageable for some of these other jump shooting teams. But Miami, I, I think they would have to dramatically change how they play to beat the Celtics right now. Well, the Rogier trade was a good start. It was certainly, yes. he's, he's a lot better than Kyle Larry is. Uh, quickly, Clippers, Suns, who are you more dubious of right now? I'm always more dubious of the Suns. And it, okay. I, I don't trust the health. The def- like the numbers when those guys are on the court, awesome, amazing, love it, love watching it. I, I cannot trust all of them to stay healthy. And by all of them, I mean not only the three stars, but Yusuf Nurkic and Eric Gordon and a, like a, a long, it's like a... a house of cards or a long string of dominoes in which if literally any piece falls out of place, any card falls out of place, it's so delicately arranged, I worry about the integrity of the whole thing. So I worry about them far and away more than the Clippers. I've really enjoyed watching Beal on that team the last two weeks. His fit's been really nice. 
he's really playing hard for them. It's about as hard as we've seen him play in a while. And he just fe- he just feels like I'm going to be additive. I don't need the ball too much. I'm going to be fighting. I'm going to be trying to take charges and fighting for offensive rebounds. And yes. I'm unselfish. And uh, he's put some real thought into it. Everything I've heard is that he's been a real leader behind the scenes too. And, you know, same same thing with James Harden. Like everyone said, James Harden's been an awesome leader. He works with the big guys. He shows up first. It's just that the NBA, it's like high school. <laughs> it's what like, wait, world. I thought those two were, weren't they, didn't they get into a fight junior year? No, no, they're friends now. Like it's just, it's a roller coaster <laughs> ride. You can't keep up. James Harden's happy. Bradley Beal's a leader. Kyrie, no it. drama at all. 2024, man. What, what a year. <laughs> Maybe Ben Simmons can come back. Uh, you buying the Clippers as I can actually see them in the finals? I can definitely see them in the conference finals. I would still have a hard time seeing them beat the Nuggets. I know that may seem crazy to some people after watching the Nuggets on a night like tonight where they did yeah. not have it, but I'm not worried about Denver in the playoffs. They're still my favorite in the West, I think by a pretty wide margin. As for the other teams, I would say OKC is probably my next up. And then probably a Clippers versus Wolves conversation where, yeah, it depends on who's who's kind of uh, baggage you want in terms of the crunch time execution for teams like the, the Timberwolves in particular. Like Ant waved off Cat in crunch time of the game tonight and then airballed a shot from the corner immediately. Yeah. It was, there's some stuff like that that they do that for as much as I like the arc of who Ant is and what he's doing as a decision maker concern me. But is that worth betting? Is, is, that, is that worth you know, downing versus what's happened historically with James Harden or what's happened historically with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George's bodies over the course of long playoff runs. I I think I'd probably air Clippers in the third kind of power ranking spot in the West right now with all due respect to the Wolves in the season that they've had, but we're getting into some pretty close territory. We're kind of splitting hairs, I think, at that range. Yeah, if you told me Kawhi will be healthy all the way through June, I'd be like, okay. I'm taking that seriously. Then to me, it's it's Clippers versus Nuggets. Yep. I'm with you on the Timberwolves. And even some of their defensive stuff, they were dominant the first like 15, 16 games of the year. And that slid down a little bit. They're still top five, top six. But I wouldn't say they're dominant. And there's yeah. some knucklehead stuff with them. I mean, the stuff the other night was absolutely uh, alarming. <laughs> Last thing, where did you, uh, where'd you stand on this doc thing? In what did sense? Did you feel... Did you feel like this was a team that actually needed to change their coach when you watched them? I feel like the team that needed him was the ringer.com and the Bill Simmons podcast. And he That's abandoned us, right? Like he just he really walked did. away in the middle of the season. It's he nothing really sacred. He, and, it, and I just don't think Wes Unsell Jr. is going to have the same impact <laughs> on Tuesdays on the pod. I don't, we'll I don't find know if out. Be, I don't know if he has as many stories as Doc. Yeah, listen... What a great situation to walk into to coach. I've been thinking about it obviously for two days, and you could see how he got sucked into it. I was I did a little Instagram walk and talk the other day, and I was saying like, "Yeah, he he's a competitive dude. Nurse is killing it on the Sixers, and Beats playing great, so it, that makes him look bad. Harden's on the Clippers, he's doing great. That doesn't make Doc look great, and you know he's competitive. And I was like, you know what? That last year, all that, that, none of that was my fault. I'm going to show you. And all of a sudden, he's coaching Milwaukee. but And they're paying him a lot. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Um, he's, I mean, he's certainly greased the wheels for the, you know, ringer employee to $40 million contracts pipeline. So, I, you know, let's just, let's yeah, just get that on next? the record. It's, it's feeling, feeling really good about that. Uh, you know, the, the Bucks needed that change. They needed a shakeup so, so badly. And yeah. I think what, 
what everyone holds against Doc are, are concerns that are far and away beyond where the Bucks have been. Like, they just need to get professionalized defensively. And yeah. he's going to be able to do that. He's going to be able to cater an offense to serve what Dame and Giannis do best. I'm not worried about that stuff at all. And that's, that's going to make a huge difference, especially in the regular season. But even getting them through the first playoff rounds, and then you hope the talent kind of carries you through from there. Their wings can't guard the great wings on other teams. And Dame is a minus on defense. And I don't know if the greatest coach on the earth can fix some of that stuff. But um, he's a good motivator, and we'll see how he does. Uh, before we go, you've been recapping True Detective. Yeah on the prestige TV pod with the queen, Joanna Robinson. Um, you've liked the season so far. Yes. Definitely. It's so super duper weird. <laughs> That's what we, do. Feel like, we, we like weird. Does this feel like a true detective season or is it just another show completely, but it's called true detective slash whatever. Sometimes it feels like another show. Sometimes it feels like a true detective show. Sometimes it feels like a show trying to be a true detective show. And I, I kind of appreciate all of those. Like, there is certainly a reflective, metatextual, you know, we're so far removed from season one, especially in the phenomenon that it was, that playing with the ideas and referring to them, it's almost impossible to do that in a way that's not self-conscious. So there, there's yeah. definitely a self-consciousness to the show. But I think the the framing of it and the conspiracy and the mystery of those worlds and of this season in particular lends itself pretty well to that kind of recursion and those ideas. Like seeing the spirals everywhere is just kind of par for the course and I think feeds some interesting mystery. And I mean, we're, we're theorizing like crazy over there. The yarn walls are going nuts. Like we're, mm. we're trying to piece this thing together as we go, but it's been, it's been an insane opening to the season so far. Can you explain the first two episodes in one condensed sentence? Seven scientists mysteriously disappear from their research base in Alaska, freeze to death naked with no explanation. In a, that was in pretty a, good. In a corpsicle, question mark. And Jodie Foster is a 60-year-old Alaska sheriff who likes to have sex standing up. Don't That'd they all? That would be my second sentence. <laughs> was it top 20 standing up sex scene in HBO history? <laughs> I wouldn't even know where to start. <laughs> it got a, oh, from my wife. Just not not ready for it. Uh, Smash cut detective. to bureau sex scene. It was, it was a lot. HBO still keeping us on our toes in 2024. Who knew? Uh, Rob Mahoney, we can hear in the Ringer NBA show, reader on the ringer.com and here on the Prestige TV podcast as well. Good to see you. Thanks, Bill. All right, taping this early afternoon Pacific time. Peter Schrager is here. You can watch him on Good Morning Football. You can see him on Fox. You can see him, us kind of killing the games the last couple of weeks. I hope it keeps going. We're going to get to the games a little bit later. We've been on a nice little run. Um, let's talk coaching, though. Coaching hires, coaching rumors, coaching things. How many jobs are left now? We have three jobs as we record this that are still open. That is Washington, Seattle, and Atlanta. Atlanta just had another interview. I, I just got a text on. They have interviewed 14 different head coach uh, candidates in this cycle, 14 different ones. Belichick not getting a job when this many jobs were open would literally be unbelievable. And we also still have Vrabel, Pete Carroll, and Belichick on the table, all of whom seem that, like they want to coach. And I, Atlanta just seems like they want, I don't want to say a puppet coach, but somebody who's just going to be like, I'm here to coach, that's it. You guys handle everything else. Washington, they seem to want to have a whole new infrastructure. 
And then Seattle, I guess, would just want a normal coach. So that might rule out Belichick completely. It's interesting that, you know, Belichick is seven years older than Andy Reid and everyone is already saying, well, if Reid retires, maybe Belichick goes to Kansas City. I saw that report from from maybe Mike Florio and Schefter were both talking about that. I, I have no indication that Andy Reid is going anywhere as long as Patrick Mahomes is there. So I would take that off the table at the moment unless something drastic happens that uh, we're not expecting. Then you're looking at three jobs. And to me, the Atlanta thing, if you weren't going to hire Belichick the first interview and you didn't hire him right after the second interview, the further we go from there, the less likely yeah. that is. Bill could say, I just want to be a head coach. He could say, I just want to be an executive if that's the case. But I think if you're hiring Belichick, you're hiring all that comes with Belichick. And that might not be what every team wants. They might want him just for those siloed jobs. And I'm not sure necessarily you can hire Belichick as strictly a head coach because at some point he's going to have to cede that control to a, a Terry Fontenot or a Rich McKay unless you say, we're going to blow those guys out too and we're just going to go all in on Belichick at age 72. Yeah. When And if you look at the last six to seven Pats drafts, you'd be a little hesitant. It's weird because how do you tell a guy who's won more playoff games than anyone ever who's the best coach of all time and then you're in a meeting with them and you're like, here are our thoughts. It's like, I think it was, he probably doesn't want your thoughts. I know. I think it was Seth Wickersham, who we both respect, obviously, and who's had a pulse on on the Patriot stuff for years, who said, who made the parallel to like, look, Tom Brady was a free agent a couple of years ago, and basically two teams showed real interest. It was uh, the Chargers and, and the Buccaneers. And in the end of the day, like the Buccaneers made the most sense. Like in hindsight, he took that team to a Super Bowl his first year. Shouldn't every team have looked at the last 20 years and said, okay, we're better off with Tom Brady. And then last year, Lamar Jackson, now granted, you would have to give him up picks and he was a restricted free agent. Teams were quick to the table to say, no, 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 we're good. We, we don't want to deal with all that. And we're not going to go down that, that road. We're going to stick with our guy. And now I think a lot of those coaches are out of jobs right now who passed on Lamar Jackson or didn't entertain it. So are we doing the same thing with Belichick here? Are, are we making a mistake of saying, hey, I'd rather have Dave Canales or I'd rather have Brian Callahan than Bill freaking Belichick? Or is it, you know what? I'd rather work with the 38-year-old guy who comes in wide-eyed and is willing to be collaborative and work with uh, you know everyone at a different level than having to be you know entering a relationship where we know that he's going to have superiority over everybody in the building the second he walks in. Well, Carolina at least finally figured out how it's supposed to go, where you hire the GM and that guy brings in a coach that he's really comfortable with, and now they're aligned. And if the coach fails, the GM fails too, and there's no finger pointing, no anything. That's how you're supposed to do it. So at least Tepper finally figured that piece out. I, I think also the the Carolina thing, a little bit in the weeds on the Carolina hire, they interviewed all the, the typical candidates also. They interviewed a bunch of GM candidates. They hired the in-house guy, Dan Morgan. But from what I hear, Tepper was blown away by a couple of these GM candidates and has already discussed you know, a possibility of, okay, well, let's bring in one of the financial guys or one of the salary cap guys. And they met with Mike Greenberg from Tampa. They met with Brent Tillis from Kansas City, who does Kansas City's cap work with Brett Veach. And they met with a couple other guys who work on the financial side. Now the question is, can they poach one of those guys to come in also? So now you have Dan Morgan, who's your football guy, who also can do contracts and all that. But then you pair him with a really smart salary cap, strictly money-based contract guy, have those two. And then you have this coach and all of a sudden you've got now, all right, Tepper doesn't need to be meddling. He's got three different people that he trusts to handle the football. And it's like, you guys do your thing. And I swear, I'm not going to meddle. I swear I'm going to step away. I was only meddling because I felt I had to, but now yeah. we've got this thing in, 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 and yeah, you guys all can trust each other. 
That's new owner syndrome, though. They come in and they think it works like every other business they did. I, I've been joking about this the entire time I've had a column and a podcast. Yeah. These guys come in. I remember in. the Bad GM Summit. I remember I long for oh my God. Yeah, they all have to do it. You go back and all of them, they can't resist. And then they gradually realize like, oh, I need to delegate. Oh, maybe I don't know as much about football as I thought. Oh, maybe it's weird when five different people have five different agendas and, you know, they're all playing me against each other. I did um, like Carolina came into it open-minded though, because they met with all the usual candidates and like the last guy in was Dave Canales, who was Tampa's OC for one year and was in Seattle for years. And that's where Dan Morgan knew him. But I'm told he blew away the interviews. And this year in Tampa, like that's like an all juice, positive, light, uh, you know, like all about, you know, positive uh, affirmations and all this stuff that, that that really worked in Tampa Bay in the post Brady thing. And in back to back years, he kind of resurrected Geno Smith and Baker Mayfield's career. And to Tepper's credit, they did a Zoom interview last Thursday. They liked him. They interviewed him this week after they lost in the NFC Championship game. They liked him again. And you know what? They said, let's hire him. It wasn't like, well, he wasn't our first choice or, well, we are, since October, we were looking at somebody else. They're like, no, this guy really interviewed well. We like what he did and he's going to make the best out of Bryce Young. I, I respect that too, to go into this thing open-minded and let's not make the big name higher. I got to say, as somebody who's hired a few people in my day, you kind of know within the first three to five minutes. I think it's funny when these people have like the five different <laughs> interviews with the same person. I don't know what happens in the fifth interview that would change, you know, kind of the general vibe you would have right away of like, does this, am I clicking with this person? Does this seem like a person I'd want to spend time with? Does their brain seem to be working in the same way that everyone around here, were, you know? So I, you could usually like, tell. And that's why when you see like a, like, Belichick well, that's when you see Belichick twice. for two interviews. Yeah. yeah. It's Guys, like, we know uh, what we're, and we kind of know like what we're getting. Um, Harbaugh was interesting too, because he had the initial interview, went really well with the Chargers, and they had another one. And then he actually canceled the Atlanta one because the Chargers one went so well. And then I heard we're doing this on Thursday, Wednesday night. They were, they were like a Morton Steakhouse and Harbaugh was the life of the party. And the, they, yeah. they had already announced it. And like they were fired up for the Harbaugh era. And I'm like, you know what? They're going to win. Like that's a smart hire. That's what they need in that market. And Harbaugh will turn it around. He always does. And Herbert will be good. And I, I, I appreciate that kind of hire too, where it's like, Hey, not for everybody. The Harbaugh thing comes with the, you know, he usually has in the NFL and before Michigan comes in lasts a few years, burns everyone out. And then he's on to the next. Well, the Chargers like, we'll take the burnout. Does it mean we could be good for a couple of years? We'll take it. We need it. So I like that match too. I thought it was the perfect, perfect, perfect place for him. They don't, they don't matter at all here. They have no identity whatsoever. Um, their old fan base in San Diego, most of those fans has not only have not traveled with the team, but have kind of disowned the team. Um, here, they're like the black sheep of the LA scene. They, they're completely irrelevant. Even Justin Herbert, who is somewhere between the fifth and eighth yeah. best quarterback in the league, I don't even think he has face recognition for like the Jumbotron and a Clipper game. Um, every home game they have, it's all fans of the other team, but now he's going to come in and it's going to feel like it's a Mid little, matters. I was here when Pete Carroll, when he got USC going in the two thousands yeah. and it felt the same way. There was a rejuvenation, but he was the face of it and the players could kind of come in and out, but he was always the one and he was, now you have somebody you could have on Jimmy Kimmel's talk show, you totally. know, and it's like, Hey, it's the chargers coach, Jim Harbaugh. It's. Now they're showing him on the Jumbotron. He's sitting courtside. He's next to Bomber. It's like, oh, Harbaugh. And they, they just have no energy like that in the city. It's a city of stars. LA responds to stars. 
and in and in the core of their arrangement, they're tenants in what the Rams Stadium is. So it's like you're almost renters, and now they have a brand new, beautiful facility that's opening up, I believe, next year. And it's a different area. Well, you so, know that you know about that deal. I tell me, what do you got? Is there more that I need to know, or what? No, about the their deal with the arena. I didn't fully realize like. They're basically tenants. The Rams needed a tenant for the other eight games because that was part of the deal. So what I was told was they pay like so little on, you know, rent stuff. They I, Somebody told me they paid a dollar a year, which seems insane. But the they really details. have no expenses. They don't have to pay for anything. And they, what, what I was told was they have this influx of cash because they didn't spend for a new stadium. They don't have to pay for the upkeep. They're just kind of there. So they could put it in the practice facility in, in Harbaugh. I'm not Justin sure. Herbert. I do know that when that whole deal went down and it was the Raiders and Chargers sharing a stadium or it was the Rams getting a stadium, that was how it all shook out. And it was the Rams first and the Chargers second as the SoFi people. Yeah. And, and you kind of felt that way the first few years. This will be different. I think Harbaugh goes right up with McVay as far as name recognition. I think that Harbaugh brings the real juice to it. And... Yeah, little we'll little rivalry, by the way, with those two guys. You get another Absolutely. thing out of that. You get a little Herbert versus the the Rams. Totally. Um, and I think with with Harbaugh, I'm curious to see the staff. So the the three things that everyone tells me is like, you're going to win right away. You will. Two, you're going to be tough. You're not. You're going to be disciplined. And three, he hires great staffs. Now this might be a bunch of names that feel like retreads or retreads. Like it might be David Shaw and Pep Hamilton, and you might get Greg Roman, and you might say, oh, well, those guys he also has these young coaches and that's what he always had at Michigan and always had at the Niners. He found talent at the coaching level. They're going to be loaded on the coaching staff and I'm yeah. curious to see who they hire at GM. They're going to be interviewing Joe Hortiz today. Joe Hortiz is like number two in Baltimore and they also interviewed a guy named Brandon Brown who's with the Giants. So well, does Harbaugh have a say? What did, what did they say about that? Does he Harbaugh, have like I'm final sure, personnel? So I'm much, sure right? he will have a very large so, voice. Yeah. One of the reasons I love this for him is because you actually have the chance to build and rebuild something. You know, because the Chargers, they, they have the worst salary cap situation. Yep. I think it's in the top three for next year in the league. And so for Belichick to go there, you know, I just don't think he would have been able to turn that around in a year. Harbaugh, Harbaugh can take three years. He has the QB. He was a former QB. He knows how important that piece is. And, you know, he gets a rap for, oh, he burns his bridges fast. He's at Michigan for a while. Nine years. Yeah. Nine I years. Mean, that's, that's not nothing. And they, were they were five and seven the year before he got there. Brady Hoke. They were bad. And he came in and turned them around. They won 10 games the next year. They beat their first two opponents who were ranked by like 30 points. And they win the title. They beat... Alabama and Washington this year. Bill, you did mention the Jumbotron at Clippers games as like a barometer. Give me like what level of celebrity we're talking about at a Clippers game as opposed to a Lakers game. Is it the same? Or either. Is there... Yeah, no, okay. it's either. Yeah, okay, it's, it's either. just like if you're showing somebody, does the crowd, do people like my wife, yes. actually she oh. wouldn't know who Jim Harbaugh she was. Might. But, she might. But would there be some recognition? Like on the Dodgers, yeah. uh, the Otani, right? If he's yeah. at a Clipper game, People are like, holy shit, Otani's oh, here, cool. standing yeah. O. Mookie Betts, he can kind of slide in and out. Like he was okay. at the Lakers Christmas game. He's 5'9". He can just <laughs> put a hat on. You barely know he's there. He's on the Jumbotron. You're like, is that, that, is, is that Mookie Betts? Harbaugh will be there like with his arms yes. back, wearing some leather jacket. Big old smile. Yeah, just like, uh, you know, he's like a celebrity. And I think for him, especially if you're in Michigan, you're in a fishbowl there because you're in a college campus and Ann Arbor. 
Now you come here, you're just another celebrity. There's a freaking million of them. He'll buy some nice house. Yeah, he'll have in Orange County. Years. That's and he's got fine. and he's got the QB. So to me, great move. And I'll be interested to see if Belichick ever really strongly considered it. But the thing with Belichick, he loses out on the Eagles because it seems like Sirianni's back. Yep. The Cowboys bring McCarthy back. Yep. It all worked Buffalo, out wrong. It all, none of the cards worked out his way. Buffalo did not fire Sean McDermott. So it Which seems- I mentioned last week. I didn't see that happening. Like, and now, you know, you kid, but like, he might be, he might be just in wanting to coach and not being able to. Does he go and ho- coach a high school team? Like, and just be like, screw it. Does he go and work with a college team? Does he do it? Or is he literally going into the media and like, I'll just stay relevant and I'll do it for you? Because Bill, if Doc Rivers is going to leave your podcast network, I sure as hell would be the first one Hashtag to listen to Belichick. Um, first of all, I'd love to have Belichick. Second of all, him not coaching next year is going to be a massive win for us as football fans because he will okay. strategically pick one, two, or three things and he'll boost his... And then he'll have the number one choice of any job next year, yeah. right? Who and, are his guys in the media? Like, is it him and Tom Curran? Like, who is it going to... Who would it be? Like, or is he going to go national? Well, he's close, with, he's close with Lombardi, but I don't, I don't know how that would play out. My guess would be he would start his own sort of podcast somewhere or, or maybe he just does studio... Yeah. Where he's on, like, does he join like ESPN Monday Night Countdown? And he's just there on Monday nights. They just fly him in private. And he's like with like Moss and whoever else. Yeah, I don't I I do think people will really like him after this season if he doesn't coach. People are like, Wow, Belichick had no idea. He seemed like such a dick. You know, the little wrinkles, obviously when he puts Nike the dog on during the draft is like a little wink to the crowd. But that NFL one hundred thing that he did with Collinsworth is amazing. When Brady flew He was so it's so good. He was better than Collinsworth. It's maybe the best thing the NFL films has done and Brady runs and Belichick runs point on it and is excellent. Well I wonder like CBS, like we'll see what happens with Romo and Nance, like the Andrew Marchand and the New York Post just wrote a piece today, like basically like, are these guys Oy. ever going to have a resurgence or is is this just where we are for oh, the rest of our... they've got two monster games Well, that, the spotlight's on them. And I wonder at some point the CBS go, shit, and Belichick's available for a year? I, Maybe I might we'll be just, just bring like, him into the booth. I might be different. I don't know. You tell me, and I don't usually dip into these words. I still think Romo is really good and exciting. And like, I enjoy Romo on these calls. I know there's been a lot of criticism of late, but like, I thought he was pretty good against in Buffalo, Kansas City. He had a real like, I don't know. You feel like you're watching it with a a guy at the bar and he also brings some energy and juice to it. The other guys are great too. Whether you talk about Olsen or Collinsworth or Aikman, of course, but I don't think Romo is so terrible. And like, I know that people on Twitter are just crushing him. So I watched, this tells you where I am as a Patriots fan these days. I watched the, fourth quarter in OT of the Pats-Chiefs game, the D4 oh, yeah. game. Yeah. Romo's out of his mind in that it's game. It's insane. He's calling I, it's, every it's, play. It it's honestly insane. seems like he came from the future and he's just spelling shit out. He's spelling the momentum and it's like, this is why we were so excited about this guy because I, it almost makes me, you don't think there's any chance the NFL said to him, you can't predict stuff ahead of time because other teams can hear the signal calls and they can listen to the the audio of the broadcast and hear the signals and different things. And I think it was such a revelation on television. And when he gets on that telestrator and he's doing it all, I I don't think it's a competitive advantage to other teams. I think it was just, he had recently retired. So he was still in. So every year you're out. So that this is one of the things with, uh, with color guys, just in general. And one of the reasons doc was so great on this podcast was he had just coached. He just coached literally everybody for 20 years. So he had this wealth of knowledge, like, 
from day after day after day being in these war rooms trying to figure out how to beat guys, what their weaknesses were, what this team wasn't doing, what this guy wasn't doing. And I think the longer you get out of the league and in any sport, that becomes tougher. We've seen that with every announcer. That's why Collinsworth is somebody that I think fought it off. I mean, he hasn't played for 30 plus years, but he's I mean, still I think on he, it. Because his career ended in the 90s. I think he was yeah. inside the NFL, late 80s. And he was amazing on Inside the NFL. So I and mean, those were really the days. That's when... Uh, so good. The Lenny when, Dawson, Nick Bonacotti years. And then you go from there to when he was with Marino. And, and well, Chris the 2000s Carlin. was when we had that and we had uh, Inside Edge with Ron Jaworski. Whatever also that show great. was. NFL Edge with Edge, Ron Jaworski. NFL matchup. Yeah. NFL matchup. And yeah. those were the two... Sh- they were must-watch shows every week because we the didn't NFL really have matchup no football show. content would air at like 7.30 a.m. on Sunday morning, filmed yeah, in Mount Laurel. Yeah, we'd have Laurel, to tape it. And it was, yes, you would have to tape it on a on a tape, with like before, v, before obviously DVR. And I would do that. I would watch it and he would break down film. I didn't know what the hell I was watching. I loved it. It was great. Uh, real quick though, on all these guys, it's almost as if the regular season doesn't matter anymore, but so many people are watching in the playoffs. Like you have to be great in these playoff games, not yeah. only as players, but on the broadcast because we don't even know like how these guys are doing. Cause sometimes you're not watching every game as far as, Oh, I, I, cause you got red zone or whatever else, but like all eyes are watching you. So you get nitpicked really hard and that's maybe why they make the money they do because there is such scrutiny behind it. Well, it doesn't help that Greg Olson was lights out this year and I don't know what happens to him next year. He's so good. Cause it seems like Brady's going to do the number one job. So it's like, okay, this is where you need like a sports czar. You know, it's not just about like, I'm going to fix boxing. I'm going to fix college football. The sports art needs to be the common sense VP who comes in and says, look, Greg Olson can't be the, on the number two team. We're not doing that. Let's figure this out. Like, hey, Herb Street, thanks for everything. But you're going to go back to college. We're going to get Ian Eagle and Greg Olson as our number one Amazon team. And let's just let's just have the best people on each team. Um, Olson being relegated to number two or number three, that would suck. Cause yeah, I, I really learned, I learned a lot of shit from that dude this year. He Greg was the is best so guy. Good. And he's so good in the moment. Like he, yeah. he, he said something on, on Sundays, on Saturday night's game where like they were running Aaron Jones outside, outside, outside. And he's like, here's the deal with San Francisco's defensive ends. Like they are great pass rushers. They are great. But like, this is not what they do best. I'm like, man, that's good because I see all these superstars on yeah. San Francisco's D line. And it's like, why are they running all over them? Well, this is exactly where their weakness is. And I'm like, Greg is good in the moment. I, I also, I, th- I think he's a he's a great team guy too. So I'm curious to see what happens. But I'm a Fox employee, so I support whatever decision they make. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do wonder is does it just land on it's Brady with Greg Olson and Burkhart, and maybe they just say, "Hey, superpower, let's go." Three man teams can be a little iffy. I think I think Brady's going to be really good too, though. Like I watch these 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 little clips they now put on for years. He had this podcast where he and Larry Fitzgerald would talk with Jim Gray, and I didn't get anything out of it. And then in the last couple months. He has had like a few videos. He did a video on Mahomes this week that I thought was so good. And then he was telling stories with Edelman and uh, Gronk about Belichick on on the pod. And I'm like, all right, I'm ready for the Brady in the booth. I think he could be really good if he's dedicated to this. And I think he is. That'd be great. Let's take a, let's take a break and we'll talk about the games. All right, so Shriggs, we've been doing well and coming out of when they put the Sunday lines up and my instincts were Lions are a little overvalued, Niners are a little undervalued coming off those two games. So leaning toward the Niners, Casey plus three and a half, sign me up. Not going against Mahomes. 
let's do this. They, they've figured it out. This is the 2018 Pats all over again. They're just going to duct tape and thumbtack nail and scotch tape this thing. And they're going to be in the Super Bowl again. This is what the NFL wants. They want Taylor Swift there. They're going to make it happen. It'll be, if there was ever like, oh, there's five controversial calls in this game and somehow <laughs> all five went against Baltimore, this is the game. But I kept staring at it. I kept looking at 19 million different things. I read everything I could. And the more I stare at it, the Chiefs look like a sucker bet. Right now they're plus three and a half. They're in Baltimore. And I, part of me wonders if this wasn't Mahomes, it was just if it was somebody with the credentials of Mahomes, but not but named is. Patrick Mahomes. Right. This line should be like Ravens by six and a half, Ravens by seven. And Mahomes, just by himself, by the sheer fear of going against Patrick Mahomes, has moved the line three to three and a half points. So I'm going to start there. Your thoughts? The, 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 the silhouette of him waddling into the stadium and doing that, that, that Mahomes like on his tippy-toe walk is enough to move the line three points. I hear you. Uh, I have done the same. I have done 15 hours of live television talking about this one game this week. And every which way, upside and down, it's coming up Ravens for me. Every single way. I, I look at their defense. It's number one in everything. I look at the, the way the offense adjusted at halftime against Houston and how everyone, everyone's fears and anxieties were completely put to rest because they were able to adjust and Lamar used his arm and his legs to get it done. And I look at the crowd. This is one of those deals where your listeners will roll their eyes at me and say, oh, here we go, Schrager's stupid narrative that doesn't really matter in football, but it does. That place was bananas on Saturday. We're talking false start penalties. We're talking delay of game penalties. And that place, when it is rocking, is as good as any home field advantage in the league, Arrowhead included, Detroit included. And on Saturday, you saw it. It was like an avalanche. Once they were able to get that thing going in the second half, it rolls. I got a press release from the Ravens PR guy, Chad Steele. He sent me this. I'm going to just read this to you quickly. Ravens legends of the game on Sunday are Ray Lewis and Ed Reed. The team Ooh. will also recognize Ravens wide receiver Anquan Bolden, tight end Todd Heap, tight end Dennis Pitta, kicker Matt Stover, and outside linebacker Terrell Suggs during the game. And honorary captain Jonathan Ogden, an 11-time Pro Bowler and Ravens' first-ever draft choice, will be there to serve as the Ravens' honorary captain. In 2013, the Super Bowl champion became the first original Raven to be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I, look, I know these Baltimore fans. This is, place is going to be nuts on Sunday. And I just think it's hard for me to ignore it and just say, oh, well, because of Mahomes. So I am torn because, Bill... As we have discussed, we can go into the X's and O's and what Mike McDonald's team does and what, what they do on defense and how great their stories are. I'm closing my eyes. I'm trying to think of a situation. And outside of Mahomes and Kelsey, just being Mahomes and Kelsey, it's really hard to pick the Chiefs here. I'll go further. If Mahomes wins this game, he has to go in the manifesto as you're never allowed to bet against Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs. That's just it. He just goes in. He becomes one of the rules going forward. Every single thing is against them. Even like, all right, let's go through their best wins for the entire year. They beat the Jags by eight. They beat Minnesota by seven. They beat Miami in the regular season by seven in a game that Miami fumbled as they were going in for the tying score. In Germany. Yeah. In Germany. They beat Cincy near the end of the season by eight. And we were like, Jake ah, Cincy, Cincy might be back. Or Casey yeah. might be back. They look good. 25 to 17. 
They beat Miami in cold weather, and Miami's defense is decimated beyond decimated, right? So we're going to the playoffs. That line stays like around three, even though we all know Miami's defense is decimated and two is going to suck in the cold. And people are taking the Dolphins plus three, Dolphins money line. So they win that one convincingly. And then last week against Buffalo, which we had them, they win by three in Buffalo in a game where, you know, it was an either-or game is going back yeah. and forth. But Buffalo's defense was pretty decimated. And I don't know what happened with Stephon. down. Yeah. What happened was to Stephon Diggs this year? No Gabe Davis. And they barely squeezed that out. And I guess my point is the body evidence just isn't there that this is a good team. It's a team that's pulled out wins. And it's a team that if it's close, you can't let them hang around and they'll get you in the end. But Baltimore, what do they have? 10, 10 Dude, 11 wins against playoff teams? That's like 11. one of the best records ever. 11 wins against teams that had winning records this year. And then... Which was a record. Yes. And how they beat teams, Bill. I mean, we're talking Detroit came in there as like the hot team. They blew them out. Seattle was the hot team. They blew them out. Miami was for the first seed in the the AFC, blew them out. Go to San Francisco, blow them out. And then last week, Houston in the second half, what they did to Houston was demoralizing. They just absolutely rolled them when they had to. And it clicked. Uh... Last week, I felt really good about the Chiefs. Like, I was like, Me too. I, I, I like the fact that the Chiefs had an extra two days of rest. Buffalo played on a Monday, then had to play on a Sunday. The Chiefs played on a Saturday night, had to play on a Sunday, uh, on a Sunday night. This week, the Ravens have the extra day of rest. The Ravens come in just about completely healthy. Chiefs, Joe Tooney, we're not sure what, he's, what his status is. I think he's out. It, it sounds like it. At first, it sounded like he's going to play through it. He's tough. You know what he is. But when you don't practice for a couple of days, that makes me a little nervous. Um, well, he's either out or he's compromised. Totally. And he so, might be there. And from a run game standpoint, of course, even Pacheco. 60% Joe, I, I don't know. But Pacheco, so if you're making the case for them, a couple positives. One is that their offense, since they had that terrible Vegas loss, so they have Cincinnati. Now, Cincinnati has a bad defense, but they're 7.0 yards per play. Pacheco is 18 for 130. They finally get Pacheco going, 373 total yards. Miami in the cold, they're 409 yards, 22 first downs. Pacheco's 24 for 97. Last week against Buffalo, 7.7 yards a play. Pacheco's 15 for 97. So there's an arrow pointing up for him that they can run the ball. And they also, in those three games... They had three different guys had 20-plus catch plays. So their explosive plays, even though they don't seem explosive, they're actually making those plays, which is what killed them all year. Where I get nervous is, like, Valdez-Gantley made that catch. Two catches. Two 30-yard catches. Two hard ones. Yeah. Right? Rice made a really hard catch in traffic. They've been dropping those balls all year. What happens the first time you drop one of those in Baltimore? Totally. The crowd's going nuts. It's going to be a little rainy, potentially. Yeah, So that worries me. Uh-huh. And then um, the other thing that's positive for them, they really have shut down explosive pass plays. So going back, like New England didn't even have a pass over 10 yards against them. Cincinnati only had two 20-plusers. Vegas only had one. Miami in the playoffs, Tyreek for 53. That's it. Nobody had more than 20. Buffalo last week, 15, play, 15 yards was their max long pass. So if it could be like this, Baltimore just never gets anything deep, never anything, no, no, like 38 yarder. And they just well, have to grind, grind, grind. And it's a weird, ugly, disjointed 21 17 game. 
Yeah, then you have Mahomes in the fourth quarter. And I'm yeah, scared. If, if Mahomes is within three points in the fourth quarter, all bets are off. This is, does Baltimore come in and roll them because they just have this crazy crowd, all the momentum, and they score in their first two possessions. And it's like, we have the most suffocating defense in the league. I, I truly think, you know, last, they had the big play. Tyreek had the big play against the Chiefs and it was 10-7. And it was like, all right, what are we going to do here? And then they just shut down Miami. And then last week, you know, Allen has that miraculous pass on third down to to Shakir at the end of the third quarter. They take the lead, and then Kansas City just said, "Let's stop it. Let's just shut them down." Yeah, and they Buffalo shut down the run. Nothing. They shut it down. So it's like, here's how this will go: Baltimore wins, I think, by 21, or Kansas City wins by a field goal because you kept Mahomes around and did something miraculous. Yeah, I'm looking at that Baltimore first half Baltimore game. Like if Baltimore doesn't win this game. This Mahomes, is a bad. It's, it's Mahomes. It's not even anything against. Well, Baltimore. it's for they're, they're young enough. No, and it's a, it's a really bad for Lamar if they if he can't win. Really, this game. I think this he seems slayed, better. He's, I think he slayed some dragons last week playing the way he did. No, I know he he, he, beat, he beat the Houston Texans who were plus five eighty to make the playoffs. He needs That's to fair. win this game, and I think the line reflects that the public doesn't totally trust him in a big game, and they may trust Le, uh, Mahomes too much. So yeah. you saw this. This would happen with Brady and the Pats occasionally, where they got. So much credit for being Brady in the Pats. Sometimes people were kind of overlooking, eh, this isn't the same kind of team. Their body of work with the Chiefs just hasn't been good compared to Baltimore, which has been incredible. I saw like but the body of work, Bill, isn't just this year. To me, the body of work is the last six years. The playoff. Where, yeah, I'm yeah, just talking this they, season. Sure. But all that to me is secondary to the experience and the know-how of that. Like we've been in these spots before. They haven't. You know, and I think that's where you're picking the Kansas City Chiefs. If you're a Chiefs fan, you're like, all right, well, we we've been there. We've been on the road. We did it last week. Yeah. We've been in big spots. We've been in Super Bowls. And like Mahomes, I loved his comment last week after the game. They were like, what it feel like to win your first road playoff game. And he's finally said, he's like, look, we played on the road in the Super Bowl in Tampa against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That was a road game. We played in the Super Bowl last year in Arizona. That's on yeah. the road. We played in Miami. Like that was a nonsense narrative. This one might be a little different. I know Buffalo's fans were great and they were loud and Kelsey was jumping around shirtless. The I team think just the, wasn't good enough. I just don't think they were good enough. The Ravens Baltimore are way better than Buffalo is. Agreed. They're way better. Agreed. And the other thing, they're number one on they're on offense. They're the number one rushing team. Chiefs are 17th against the rush. Buffalo felt like for three quarters... They were they running were so the ball. Committed to it. They were trying. Yeah, I'm not yeah. sure what happened at the they end. Put the numbers up. They did. They were running the ball well. Also, Kelsey. Kelsey gave the Chiefs, I would say, a good two hours last <laughs> Sunday. You know, I don't he, think like, he has three and a half hours in him anymore. And I think this is a three and a half hour Kelsey game if you're going to beat Baltimore. It's true. You said like he made the two touchdown passes and the catches. And the one that was cool is that, and I think Peter King had it in his Monday column, is that like it was a play that Andy Reid used in 2011. He brought it out like the one where. They scored on the goal line. But I noticed in a lot of big plays, Kelsey was not in. He runs to the sideline. Like he wasn't in a lot of these. He seemed tired like, a couple of times. Like he's totally. just he calling. There was one time where he called himself to be taken right out. After they missed him in the end zone, he ran yeah. right off and it was like a big third down. I was like, that's not, that's not usual. But this is it. Hey, look, here's the truth of the matter for me. Everything tells me Ravens. And if you want to get personal with it, my son loves Lamar. My wife's from Baltimore. I'm going to mm. go to the game. I'll be there. All this stuff. It feels like this has to be Ravens. And But before the season, Bill, I picked the Chiefs to win it all. And my, my mantra on Good Morning Football and on your podcast was, I cannot pick against Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and Andy Reid until they give me a reason to pick against them. 
and us saying, well, the other team has got a best defense and on paper this and Anquan Bolden's going to be in the house just doesn't feel convincing enough. So I don't care if it's by one point or two points. I have to go by my original conviction. I still am picking the Chiefs, even though every ounce of my body is telling me Ravens. First half game for the Ravens, where they win both, is even money on FanDuel. And I find it hard to believe the Ravens are going to win the lose the first half and then win the game. Mm. If the Chiefs are winning at halftime, it's like, oh my God, the Chiefs are, are going to win this. I guess my question with the Chiefs is, they're not going to win every year. Like even Brady and the Pats didn't do that. And if they're not going to win on a certain year, like just even get into the AFC title game is amazing. But there's going to be years where you kind of don't totally have it. And maybe this is just a, we didn't totally have it. And maybe the Miami and Buffalo wins kind of threw people off the scent a tiny bit versus Baltimore, who has been telling us now for three months who they are, how good they are. They've they've taken down every single opponent you could throw at them and convincingly, and they're awesome at home. Did so last if they week, lose this? This is a bad loss, man. I know. For Baltimore, did, did last week's win over Kansas... Okay, sometimes you feel it. Like last week's win over Buffalo, did that feel like, all right, they did that. Great season. You can go to bed if you're a Chiefs fan. Like, we, we, we did it. We beat Josh Allen again. No, because they're, they're thinking Super Bowls. I, but I think, you know, their offense didn't do anything in the fourth quarter. They they got really lucky that Allen, right as he's about Two to hit things. Gabe Davis in the end zone, Chris Jones shoves whoever that lineman yep. is and just knocks him off like by a split second. And Allen was bad on those last two drives. He just was. He, he uh, went for the he went for the money shot. He went. Big. He hero balled it. He did. He hero balled so, twice. Um, playoff manifesto Chris, rules here. What do we got? Beware of the looked a little too good the previous playoff round team, which is definitely Baltimore, but they've looked a little too good previous week for uh, three months. <laughs> Make sure the team the home field advantage actually has a home field advantage. I think it'll be a madhouse on Sunday. Yeah. They, haven't had, a, they haven't had a home AFC championship game since 1971 in War Memorial Stadium. I love right. that. Two possible new rules. One is, come on, seriously, what does the NFL really, really, really want to happen here? <laughs> do they want Baltimore in here? Do they want KC? The referee who got assigned to this game, favorable to the to the road team, like there's been some good stats and numbers about that this week. Warren Sharp quick, had some you good think, stuff. You think the Taylor Swift thing is way more yes. of a win than yes. Lamar, a new star, and Lamar no, Jackson? It's Taylor, Swift. Okay. Taylor Swift okay. in the Super Bowl is the win. So okay. I'm just saying that's a possible new manifesto rule. If the Chiefs win and there's like five weird calls. Second then, question uh, for you. Let me let me just keep on buzzing you with this because you know this stuff more than anyone entertainment-wise. She is supposed to be in Tokyo for a world tour. Would she cancel a date in Tokyo to be at the Super Bowl? Yes. Okay. Keep going. Yeah. The other new rule goes zags against that one I just gave you. Um, just... Never bet against Patrick Mahomes in a playoff game. It's just he's now off the table. You can't pick against him. And that would be the new manifesto rule if he wins this game. Just yeah. like he's out. It, it, we had the rule for Brady. It's like, don't fucking bet against Brady. Just don't. Yeah. Don't bet against Brady and Belichick. Or it's like, don't you don't do even it. have to bet. Just enjoy the game. Like, yeah. don't, just, don't bet. Just scale just back. It. <laughs> put it, put him in a tease. Do whatever. So those new rules are at stake. Uh, Niners-Lions. <sighs> I mean, I'll just go through the manifesto rules now because they're not good for the Lions. But where have the everybody believes in us team and the nobody believes in our QB but us team? Ha! Is that a real thing? 
That was rule number five. So we have the Lions that everyone's all in on. I mean, yes. everybody. Yeah. And then we have the Brock Purdy situation where he looks bad in the rain. Everyone's Brock Purdy sucks. I'm out on Brock Purdy. And the Niners now defending Brock Purdy oh this week, which I know. Did you watch the did you watch oh, the yeah. sound from yesterday? Like Brandon oh, yeah. Ayuk's coming out there talking about Purdy as if he's, you know, Tom Brady and Peyton Manning all in one. Yeah. So you got that. Um, never pick an underdog unless you genuinely believe that it has a chance to win. The Lions defense winning the NFC title game on the road with what we've seen from the Lions defense is suspicious. I would just leave it there. Big ask. Beware of rule number seven. Beware of all dome teams playing outdoors, especially in cold weather. It's not going to be that cold, but still. Um, rule number 10, when in doubt, gravitate toward one pick that would screw over the most gamblers and experts and would definitely go against the single worst gambler you know. That, I think, is a Niners-Ravens tease okay. at minus 110. So that's maybe in the Lions' favor. Possible new rule. You can't dismiss the nerd evidence when it's absolutely overwhelming. You just can't. I'm just going to read you these stats. San Francisco's offense versus Detroit's defense this year. San Francisco offense, first yards per play. Detroit, D, 23rd. Mm-hmm. San Francisco's offense, second first downs. Detroit, 22nd. San Francisco's offense, first red zone. Detroit, 29th. San Francisco, first yards per play. Detroit, 23rd. San Francisco, fourth pass. Detroit, 27th. And then we had... Uh, Warren Sharp was talking about how Goff targets the middle of the field more than any QB. 53% target rate. You're not going to believe this, but San Francisco's defense. Number one. Fucking awesome at the yeah, middle of the field. You know Green who they have? Warner? Fred yeah. Warner on their yeah. team. So you have that. And then Nate Tice, who wrote a good piece this week, he was saying- I um, like that guy. I just, uh, this yeah. is the first year I started reading his stuff. What's he at? Yeah. Like, yeah, he's good. So he's, I think he's Yahoo. He said, no defense Sorry. since week nine. <laughs> no defense since week nine has allowed more explosive passes when defending play action than the Lions. Well, who's the best play action offense in the league? It's the San Francisco 49ers, 9.3 yards per play. Um, so that's all bad for the Lions. Make sure the team with the home field advantage actually has a home field advantage, another role. Niners, I'm, I'm, it's okay. It's not, I don't love the stadium. Here's the thing, though. Their fans are great. Are great. Like, they travel right. as good as any it's fan It's a weird base. stadium. It's, I went there for WrestleMania. It's just kind of big and... Um, it's in Santa Clara. It keeps also. opening it's not, up. It's not Candlestick where I, you'd walk through a parking lot and you have to look six ways because people are shouting things at you. It's different. It's a nicer crowd, obviously. Um, it's a it's a kinder, gentler crowd. I would say that. But that fan base, they show up and they come out with that boombox. They've had the some, and they've room. had some big home wins. Yeah. yeah. And then the last one is just take one last look at the quarterbacks. Basically, everything everything's pushed me into the Niners, and I think if you do it. You have to assume that they're going to just do the Shanahan where they just take control early and they they just dominate the game. Yeah. The flip side would be they go three and out to start the game. The Lions start running the ball. Gibbs gets going. Um, or it's the I flip side is you're in a shootout and you know the Lions offense can score and all of a sudden you're asking Purdy to throw for 350 and four touchdowns and that's not his game. It's not, but I have a couple more things for you. Um. Detroit's defense. Tampa went 6.8 yards per play. Evans, 8 for 147. Mm-hmm. Rams, 7.7 yards per play. Puka, 9 for 181. Dallas, 6.2 yards per play. Lamb, 13 for 227. Green Bay against them, 7.0 yards per play. Watson, 5 for 94 at two touchdowns. And then roped everyone into spending $50 on him on fantasy and then sucked. Chargers, 6.2 yards a play. 38 points. Allen, 
11 catches, 175 yards. That's this thing nice cannot stop day. monster okay. receivers. Yeah. So this feels like an, they, like you could say it feels like an IU game. Yeah. Feels like a Warner game. It feels well, like think, a, it feels like a McCaffrey game because the way it, they can run and it's just a lot of their elephant, Niners are lined up on this. The big elephant in the room is obviously the playoff experience of the Niners versus the Lions. But the biggest X factor is Debo Samuel's health. I thought Purdy was unbelievable that final drive and the guys he was throwing to Juwan Jennings and then of course hitting number 84 Chris Conley who I admittedly did not know was on the team in a huge shot on the sidelines. Purdy led them the whole way down and then of course McCaffrey scores. I think that was major. But if Debo is good and Juszczyk is out there and McCaffrey's lining up all over the place like I don't know if there's a more dangerous offense in a playoff game because you don't know who to defend and they just get in their rhythm and they go. Uh, but Debo, right now, they're saying he's not out. They're saying that he's not practicing. But to me, that tells me if you're going into Friday, it means he's probably going to play and he's probably going to leave it out there. And if you get even a little bit of Debo, it's you have to worry about him and prepare. Um, Can I give you, you a, hot, a hot take on Debo? Yeah. He reminds me of Porzingis on the Celtics. Talk about it. I love this. Let's hear it. I was going to think he was more of a Ruben Patterson, but go on. No. Porzingis is the superpower for the Celtics. He makes okay. them like really special in the right series because he brings the size and three-point shooting. They can put him in pick and roll. But they can also, if he was gone for a week, they could figure out how to be okay without him, right? And in this game, I think Ayuk is the key guy because all of the receivers who have torched the Lions over the past two months are all these down-the-field threats that just get open that over and over again are dusting somebody. And Debo is, you know, he's, you, if you're going to compare it to the Rams game, right? Puka went nuts, cupped yeah. it in Dulac, cups more of the underneath. They, they sure. use him a little bit like Debo and he couldn't get going. Now that might say more about cup, but um, it just feels like Ayuk is more important. Ayuk and Kittle are more important for them in this game than Debo. So anything Debo gives them, I think is a bonus. I don't think they need him to win the game though. I think last week, Juwan Jennings having five catches on six targets, including all those good. big third downs. Those were huge yeah. plays. I will add this. Jennings Been doing is, it for a couple of years, by the way, Juwan Jennings. Yes. You see him number 15. You're like, who's 15? Oh, it's that guy. Okay, oh, yeah. It's the him. guy who caught the 28-yarder last week yeah. for a touchdown. They call, yeah. him, they call him third in Juwan. Like, he's that guy. And he's the locker room guy, too, the pump-up guy. And you saw what he did on the sidelines where he threw the guy into the Gatorade uh, tank. Like, that's apparently how he is always. But Debo is their shit talker and Debo is their tone setter. So Debo and Chauncey Gardner-Johnson have been yapping all season long about each other. And like, I kind of like having Debo on the field just for his, 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 you know, his, I would say almost the machismo, like what he brings out there. It's this like alpha stuff that, that Debo brings out there. And it's like, we got Trent Williams. He's going to pound you. We've got McCaffrey. Yeah. He's going to, we got you checking Kittle. You know, they're going to kick your ass. And oh yeah, we got me too. And I could... I could lower the shoulder. So I like having Debo out there a lot more than not having him. I think it's actually a really big deal. My uh, other fear for the Lions, Joan Jackson, their left guard, who everybody says oh. is really good. I'm not about to pretend to know a lot about the it's guards in the NFL, but everybody's really like, good. that guy's really awesome. And then Ragnar, the center, who got hurt twice last week. Yeah, so their line's not finished. 100%. Um, I just, this to me feels like the Lions at home I still feel like the Rams could have and probably should have won that game. And then Tampa, that game was way too close last week. But the Lions pulled both of them out. But they're at home. They have a massive home field advantage because it's so loud in there. Now that's a way. Now that defense, which wasn't even good with a lot of noise and a massive home field advantage, 
Now you're going to San Francisco against a team that we were all saying the whole year was the most talented offense in the league, Debo or no Debo. Um, the only thing that makes me feel okay about them, like if you're to make the case for the Lions, other than too many points, I'll take the points, I'll take my chances. They're like really physical and they're like a little bit cheap too. Like oh, they, they definitely they hold, they hold a lot. Like there's a lot of things that aren't called. Yeah, Eric they went, They'll hit. They'll hit guys low. Oh, like yeah. they took out Higby in the uh, in the round one game. But I wouldn't say they're dirty. I would say they're very physical and that like they get they, away. They're with like a lot right of on the line you, of yeah, just like ooh, I, I don't know about that play. And I think with the Niners, I want to see somebody just smash out their offense. McCaffrey, guy who's gone down a lot. Debo, he's already hurt. Kittle has mm -hmm. been hurt a bunch. Purdy, who knows? Like. Are they going to go into this game and just be like, we're going fucking 1978 Raiders on these guys. 1977 Raiders. We're yeah. going, we are going line, yeah. after everybody. Yeah, we're hitting people over the middle. Jack Tatum. Yeah. Who's that guy? Branch, number 32. Yeah, Cliff He Branch. hits a couple guys a little late, oh, takes the penalty. <laughs> He's about fine. The, old, the old Branch from the Raiders. <laughs> okay, yes. Uh, yes, Brian Branch from Clemson, 32. Yes. So that would be my one thing that worries me is that if the Campbell... Campbell gets them so aggro and it's just like, we're beating the shit out of these guys. Too fired up. I feel the same way about the Lions like I did the Packers last week. They feel like they're a year away. Now I know they're a lot older and you've got Decker and you've got Ragnow. These are veterans and these guys have been there and John Car Chelsea Gardner-Johnson's a veteran. All these guys are veterans. And Goff, of course, has been in big games, but I just feel like this is San Francisco's year and next year might be Detroit's year. Getting to the NFC Championship game is a major accomplishment and their home crowd stuff was awesome and winning the NFC North and all these first time since stuff is great. I feel like San Francisco, this is their year. They've been primed for it and they've been the best team all season in the NFC and why would they all of a sudden drop the ball here against a Lions team that is coming on the road into unf unfriendly territory? Yeah, maybe it's their 2018 Chiefs moment where they almost get there, but it lays sure. the foundation. Or like the 2012 Seahawks was like, yeah. oh man, we almost beat the Falcons, but here Shoot. we go. Now we laid all the groundwork. I, uh, if you're thinking narratives, just in general, like we're heading into the Super Bowl, narratives that make sense to me are San Francisco being in the game and we just get to talk about Purdy for two weeks because that's been <laughs> one of the dominant it works. Ones. And then you go on the other side, like Lamar, anyone could have had him. Anyone could have made an offer. Nobody did. Now he's Anyone one could game have had away. Him. Anyone could have had him twice. He was the third right. second overall pick. And then uh, this, of course, this offseason was weird in the fact that no one did jump and try to just give a, you know, the house away for him. And then if Mahomes somehow made it, then it becomes, holy shit. Greatest ever. Like he's, this he, would be, this is, he is now like, he, if he can stay healthy and have, get a few more, this is going to be a wrap. Brady should be officially concerned. I put a I put a tweet out yesterday. Uh, I took to Twitter and I said, um, I said because Lamar was like he's a Hall of Fame talking about Mahomes like he's a Hall of Famer. I'm a I'm a good player. I'm a heavyweight. Two of us are heavyweights. And I said, if Patrick Mahomes never takes a snap again, and God forbid, we would have he is a first ballot Hall of Famer unanimous. And the response was like, of course he is. You fucking idiot. Like everyone was right. like, yes. Like so, it's not even debated. Like he never has to play another game again. And Mahomes already is has Terrell Davis that in? much. Terrell Davis is in. Yes. Yeah. It's the Terrell Davis line. Terrell yeah. Davis, not in, a long then, career, yeah. but he was yeah. like, I, no, I think he should be in. Yeah. He's, the, he's probably the best running back I've ever seen. Um, one more guy for the Lions is hurt. Brock Wright, their best blocker. Well, he's the tight end and he's the yeah. guy that had the big third and one. He had a 29 yard play. That was huge last week. And so I'm just big. thinking about, cause everyone's like Detroit, they can run the ball. And it's like, they, all right, well, in, they're missing they their blocking tight end. They're missing they Zach Jackson. Ertz. Zach Ertz is who they brought in. Who is On a week? Who hasn't played football a, all year? 
hasn't played football in a couple of months and, and is more of a pass catching tight end than a blocking one. But yeah, no, Brock Wright's a very big, important part of their thing. Jonah Jackson's important. Those are big losses. Yeah. Yeah, I just wonder because you're going in the game and you're going, oh, Lions, they'll be able to run the ball. And then like the first play, they just get stoned on three plays. Now the Niners are coming down. Now it's seven nothing. And you're just like, oh man, why did I take the Lions? I, uh, I'm much more confident on the, uh, the Niners. I see you on the Chiefs. I think in your heart, you know the Ravens are the right pick. You just don't want to vary from your Super Bowl pick. But yeah, uh, to me, it, it it almost seems too easy. Maybe this is a playoff manifesto rule down the road. But like the matchup that seems too easy in the Super Bowl, maybe that should be a, a be careful. Um, one more piece of this: I am watching the Ravens Chiefs games. With uh, with Mallory Rubin in Chicago because okay. we're doing the rewatchables the next day. God bless day. you. She's going to be a nervous wreck, man. Yeah, people are like, "Wow, she's going to be, she's going to be a, a a lunatic." And I'm like, "Yeah, either way, if they win, yeah. she's going to be a lunatic. She's if they lose, mess about they I, I'm going to have to like lose. lock all the windows in the hotel." Um, so I I think that's a positive for the Ravens game though. Good vibes. I'm bringing right? all my. I'm bringing all my my Boston title karma. What is uh? What is the rewatchables that night? Do we do we know which one it is? Monday night no? we're doing the Fugitive. Okay, it's a great movie. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, uh, I will wait. be. I will be in Baltimore, and this is the coolest thing. I am going, not for NFL Network, not for Fox, not for my podcast. I'm, I'm going with my son. I'm going as a fan. I'm going to be sitting in the crowd, and I just, mm. uh, I'm just going to go and enjoy this one. I think it's going to be an all time game. And I'm going to be excited to see it. And if I happen to bump into Taylor or Jason or whoever else, then I'll, I'll mix it up. But I'm, I'm, I think this is going to be one of those, where were you when that game happened? Like, I think it's going to be that epic between Mahomes and Lamar on Sunday. Yeah, some people are saying this is, this will be an all-timer. I don't know if the Chiefs are good enough to produce an all-timer. To me, if this is a close game, that means it's probably ugly and weird and disjointed and you know, do you think it, it matters? Baltimore's defense is too good. They're awesome. Do you think it matters? It's the early window. Like, is there ever? Because I remember watching Falcons Vikings in '98, and it was the early window, and then it was Broncos Jets. But I remember being so just yeah. exhausted from that early window. Like, do you think it matters that it's the early window? Could you still have an all-time great conference championship yeah. game if it's the early one? I yeah, think right. So. I think so too. I think the case for the Chiefs is if it basically is like that Baltimore Rams overtime game. They run the ball. I think in that game, Kyron Williams had like 125 yards rushing. Stafford was lights out. He was like 300 plus and three TDs. And they kept moving the ball back and forth. They lose an OT. But so it hasn't, it's not like we haven't seen the the Rams kind of team. But the Rams, I think their weapons are just better than KC's One more thing. Chris Jones made, I think, a million and a half dollars for being a first team all pro. I think he made another million for hitting nine sacks. I think he makes another million if they make the Super Bowl. So... Mm. These are a little interesting nuggets if you want to keep your eyes open for me. <laughs> Can I give you two quick bets? Props? Yes. Fred Warner interception. What do you think the odds are? Uh, mm, plus 360. 12 to 1 on FanDuel. <laughs> you like him picking off Jared Goff over the I middle? I think that's this. We almost hit the overtime last week with the oh Chiefs my Bills, God. which was like one. 12 to 1. We had it. I think Fred Warner interception is the fun, crazy prop. And then, uh, there's a parlay of San Francisco wins the first half in the game. And then you can take the over down to over 39 and a half points. 40 points covers it. And that's basically even. It's minus 112. 
that seems pretty solid. Because what, what were the, the odds Niners on DeMar, to me it, on a Demar Hamlin up back fake punt uh, call? Were there any odds on that last no, week? No, we did not, not okay. have that one. Um, I think if you're betting Chiefs, I like Casey Moneyline, Pacheco seventy plus rush, Kelsey and Rice both forty plus for uh, receiving. That's like five to one, and then. There's some, like, there's some Raven stuff where I think you could bet them first half game, Justice Hill, 25 yards, Gus Edwards, 25 yards, Lamar scores a TD. You can get to like five to one. What do you think of Dalvin Cook? Well, so I was looking for Dalvin Cook odds because I thought he Is looked like the there? best running back. No, he they was. weren't on there. Really? Yeah. I feel like he could, we could be hearing from him, right? Yes. Yes. Fresh legs. Especially too. second half going against that Chiefs D. All right. This is my, 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 my last odd stat. Gus Edwards and Isaiah Pacheco, the two starting running backs in this game, both Rutgers running backs representing the Scarlet Knights. Let's go. Is that true? Yeah, I didn't go there. Well, a I'm former Belichick favorite school who's oh, yeah. grabbing Rutgers people. Hey, before we go, Harman. have you heard anything about the one, two, three in the uh, draft for the QBs? Is it yeah. too early? No, we could chat about it. I heard that. No, I just want to know quick because this is my half of my life revolves around this now. Yeah, I think I think Williams is definitely looked at as the number one first one off the board, whether it's Chicago or not. That's why we have three months to build up for it. And I'm hoping they don't trade the pick yet so we can at least debate that. Um, and then it's it's a crapshoot because you see Daniel Jeremiah, who I absolutely love. He's got May at number two. And then I saw Mel Kuyper had Daniels at number two. And I think it can go either or. It depends what you like. They're two di very different quarterbacks. Daniels, of course, the big upside, the superstar sensation, and May is more of your traditional uh, drop back quarterback. And it's going to go those three, one, two, three. It depends on what the order, though. I think Caleb's one, and then at two and three, you can kind of mix and match where you like it. I don't remember a top three where you could make a case for each guy in each spot in a while. Because you could yeah. tell me, like I was, I was texting because the Ringer NFL draft show we have, they did a really good show this week, but they didn't talk about the QBs. And I was like, guys, I need QB talk every week. Like I well, just, also, this is an order. As someone who's in a content world like you and we do the NFL Network show, like I love the teams. I mean, you're talking about the Chicago that, market. That was my point. The Washington. Boston market. Yeah. The Giants. The Brady involved, successor. And Washington. Um, there's so many different things involved. I asked, uh, I asked them though, how fast would Jaden Daniels have to run in the combine? for people to lose their minds and talk about that. I was like, if, Jay, if Jaden Daniels runs a 4-2-9 in the 40, <laughs> what happens? Does he, the, and Solak's like, if he if he does a 4.29, I'll, 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 I'll eat like 10 pounds of cheese that night. And he's just the like- cheese like, and the bird watching. He's into but we were like, what, what is it though? Like a 4-3-8? Is it a 4-3-5? What number to get people to lose their fucking minds about him? Because yeah. he does feel like he could go in the combine and people would lose their minds. Here's the here's the wild card on Daniels, which I haven't seen anywhere else, but multiple people have hit me with. And they're like, the Raiders have the 13th pick. They are not in quarterback distance for any of those guys. But Antonio Pierce was at Arizona State with Jaden Daniels. And the two of them are apparently very tight. Uh, and is there a way that the Raiders can somehow mortgage their entire future and move up and get that guy? That's something I would watch just for the connection of coach and quarterback. Because you know, they hired Antonio Pierce and people around the league were like, really? The, the, you've got Bill Belichick and Mike Vrabel and you're hiring Antonio Pierce. I think if you can get him a quarterback out of the gates and not force him to play with a retread or go with Aiden O'Connell, you're a lot better off. But the 13th pick is just out of striking range. I think that's too far. I think uh, Atlanta at eight to me seems conceivable. 
because you're you're only going back five spots. You're still getting one of the awesome receivers. You're getting other first round picks from him, all that stuff. So all three of these guys are going to get torn apart too in the next three months. So be ready. We might be talking about they're all you know incredible, but there will be flaws and there will be S two cognition tests and there will be wonder looks. You know how we do it. We tear them down and then we build them up. Peter Schrager, great to see you as always. Let's go. Million Dollar Picks Conference Championship Weekend, or as some of us call it, round three. You might remember after week eight of the 2023 NFL season on Million Dollar Picks, I was down $1.93 million and I was really bummed out. I was like, what's happened? What's happened to me? Why can't I get this together? What am I not seeing? I had even my preseason picks. I had like the Patriots to make the playoffs and the Giants to make playoffs. I was like, I'm just off. I'm off this season. Maybe it's just not my year. And you know what? A lot of people would have quit. I wasn't one of those people. I was like, what am I doing wrong? You know what I did? A lot of self-reflection. I reevaluated my entire process and I came to the conclusion, I'm not working hard enough. I got to work harder on these picks. I got to study more. I got to take more notes there in the games. I can turn this around. Well, guess what? Over the next 12 weeks on Million Dollar Picks, betting basically $300,000 a game max or less, I won $5.068 million. And I'm not saying that to brag. It could end this week. I'm just saying I didn't quit. What has every sports movie we've ever loved in the history of mankind taught us? Don't quit. Don't give up. You're going to hit a dark moment. You can crawl your way back. Well, last 12 weeks on my big bets, anything basically over 150,000, I'm 39, 19, and one. You can go back. You can go listen to every one of them. I think that's the record. Uh, I've been doing really well. Which leads me to conference championship weekend on million dollar picks, conference championship weekend, not round three. We're not allowed to call it round three. I like the Niners and I like the Ravens. And we talked about all this with Peter Schrager. All week, I was in my head, I'm going to take the Chiefs, I'm going to take the Chiefs, I'm going to make the Chiefs, and they just look like a sucker bet. It just looks like a mistake. It looks like this line should be six and a half or seven. It's already moved to four in some spots. It's three and a half on FanDuel. And basically, if you're taking the Chiefs, you're saying, I'm going to ignore the fact that they really haven't had any really decisive good wins against a good team all season. Um, I'm going to ignore the fact that they trounced this Miami defense that was decimated in freezing cold weather when Tua was helpless. I'm going to ignore the fact that they barely beat Buffalo, a team that was missing a slew of defensive starters and Gabe Davis and kind of gave the game away, if you want to be honest. I'm in on the Chiefs comeback story. The NFL wants this. They want Taylor Swift at the Super Bowl. Um, Don't overthink this. Always bet on Mahomes. And if you're going to bet that and you're going to take the plus three and a half in the hook, I honestly can't blame you because if Mahomes wins this with an inferior team in Baltimore, a team with an awesome home field advantage, a team that has more decisive playoff wins or wins against playoff teams and winning teams than basically anyone in recent NFL history, they've been, name a challenger. They've come in and smoked them or beaten them or outlasted them. And now they're home and this is their moment and the Chiefs are coming in not really positive what they're great at other than having Patrick Mahomes. They're 
good enough on defense, not great. Um, we haven't seen them have to play from behind in a lot of games. And when they have, it hasn't been awesome. Um, Kelsey, does he have three good hours in him? Because we're going to need that. We've seen him with an hour, good hour, maybe a good two hours, but three, not really. Pacheco is their biggest asset in this game. Can he just run the ball? Can they control the clock? Can they make it a low scoring, ugly 21-17 type of game? They could. I fully acknowledge it. But I think this is the Ravens' time. And I think I think they have the best team in the AFC, at least. We'll find out if it's the best team in the league. They're home. Everything's lined up. And I like the Ravens to win. Now, the minus three and a half, we'll get to later. I want to put the Ravens in a tease with the Niners. This Niners offense versus the Lions defense, who, as we talked about with Schrager, um, Tampa moved the ball on them however they wanted. So did the Rams. There's all these games that you can go back over the last half of the season, the playoffs, where teams, big yards per play, receivers over and over again. There's always one receiver on the other team who seems to have a monster game against them. I think it could be Brandon Ayuk in this game. And they're a little overvalued because they looked really, you know, really competent at home with an awesome crowd against, you know, Rams team that was a little banged up, a Tampa team that I don't think anyone, Tampa finished nine and nine on the season. Um, or nine and 10, 10 and nine. I can't remember, but they were around 500. Anyway, I actually think they could smoke the, the lions, but I'm not going to predict that because if you put the Ravens and the Niners together in a parlay, minus 110. So 550,000 or risk 500 is going to be our first million dollar pick. We've never gone that high all season. I'm not going to get cute. I'm not going to make a hundred different small bets and try to win all these different things. We're going all in. I think we're going to have a Ravens Niners Super Bowl. I think those have been the best two teams all year. If you think any outcome other than that is going to happen, either you're overthinking it or you're you're just trying to will something happen that might not be ordained to happen. Ravens Niners minus one ten five hundred k in that. We're going to put a hundred k bets. Just because we have to, we have to go on the record with these games. I'm eight and two straight up in the playoffs this year. So we got to do 100K on the Ravens minus three and a half. And we're going to do 100K in a parlay that is plus 100. Niners to win the first half, Niners to win the game combined with the over of 41 and a half. So 100K on both of those. Then we're putting 25K in the Niners minus seven, just so I'm on the record straight up. Two parlays that I like. This one is plus 498 from the Ravens game. Ravens win first half. Ravens win the game. Lamar touchdown. Edwards and Hill both have 25 plus yards. That is plus 498. And then we're going to take a shot at Niners to win the first half. Niners to win the game. Brandon Ayuk to have 90 plus yards. Again, big legacy of receivers torching the Lions. Puka. Mike Evans last week. Keenan Allen. Uh... Christian Watson had the best game of his season. You go over and over again. Oh, C.D. Lamb had like 200 plus yards against them. So Ayuk to have 90 yards. I have Ayuk scoring a TD and McCaffrey at 40 plus receiving yards because you know he's going to take a wheel route like 35 yards. All of those together, plus 1079, putting 25K in that. And then last but not least, laid this out with Schrager earlier. Uh, Goff loves starting over the middle of the field. You know who's in the middle of the field for the Niners? Fred Warner the most terrifying 
middle of the field linebacker we have in the NFL. I think he gets an interception. We're putting 10K on a Fred Warner interception. That is 12 to 1 on FanDuel. And those are the million dollar picks. I am up 3.138 million for the season. I am up 1.006 million for the playoffs. We have a little nest egg. Let's see if we can keep it going. Those are the million dollar picks for round three. All right, that's it for the podcast. Thanks to Peter Schrager. Thanks to Rob Mahoney. Thanks to Steve Cerruti and Kyle Creighton as well. Don't forget to check out youtube.com slash Bill Simmons if you want to see some of my dumb walk and talk stuff I'm doing that people seem to like, at least some people, who knows? Uh, Plus clips and videos from this podcast from the Rewatchables. I will see you on Sunday night after the two games. I will be in the city of Chicago. Uh, We'll see what happens. Have a good weekend. Must be 21 plus and president select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Vermont, and Virginia. You can call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. Call 188 188- 789-777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.